This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, We're tuning into another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys over Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me for this very special annual league design episode is my co-host and my co-league designer, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. And welcome. It's back to school early. We used to call this episode uh, Fantasy Hockey Architecture 101, but then we recorded it so many times that we couldn't keep calling it 101, but I still like the name. <laughs> That's fair. I think that the second time we did it, we called it 102. But yeah, this is, Brian, not our typical show. It feels kind of weird. I'm used to coming up with a list of players and then writing a bunch of notes about them. And then you're like going to go and research and I can ask you a bunch of questions. This time we left it to the listeners. We posted on Twitter. We posted on our Facebook group saying we want your questions for league design, how to design the perfect league. All of us are really into fantasy hockey. I mean, if you're listening to a summer episode of a fantasy hockey podcast, I take it you care a lot about playing fantasy hockey. And thus, you probably want to be in a league with optimal settings. You don't want to do all this work and then have your league ruined because the commissioner doesn't know what they're doing or because you have some rule that's super unfair. So we're going to break down all of your questions. We also brought up some topics that we've come up with that we're going to talk about. And we're going to try and just come up with our theory of what makes a good league. And and keep in mind, everyone that's listening, a lot of this is opinion-based, right? There's no right answer. Some people like points. Some people like categories. I don't think there's really like you could just say, oh, one's better than the other. It depends what you're going for. We'll try to break down the pros and cons of all of these different decisions that people make. But, whoa, I'm getting ahead of myself because, of course, let's start by mentioning a lot of things. Actually, I got a lot of announcements, Brian. (laughs) Okay. We're presented by... Announce. I'm ready. Announce. Announce. Announce number... Okay, stop saying announce. (laughs) Announcement number one. Uh, we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. They dropped their guide. It's awesome. You have write-ups about all the teams. You've got a bunch of lists of like sleeper candidates, people who are due for regression. They've, of course, got projections, a whole bunch of different categories being projection- projected. It's, it's great. Great value. You got to get it. You download the PDF once, and then you can also keep downloading it as the season approaches because they're updating it all the time. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. It's also a great site for other stuff. But okay, I've mentioned that before. Uh, announcement number two. I don't have to make all the announcements now. We're Do it. Be... Okay, announce. Bri- 
<laughs> announce! People in the chat room are writing announce also. I don't want people to get bored and like turn off the show before we've even started because we've got some good content. You talking about not getting to the announcements or the content is going to make people do exactly that. Oh, no. What is the next to announce? Okay, so we are going to be recording our 2018-19 NHL Audio Almanac starting next Saturday. I can't believe it, Brian. The time has come. Thanks to you, the listeners. We got our Kickstarter funded, and now we're going to record it. And if anyone didn't get in on the Kickstarter, it's like, OMG, what have I done? Now I'm not going to be able to listen to this 20-plus hour extravaganza. Never fear. Over the weekend, we made an online store. It was kind of hard, but we figured it out. And so if you go to keepingcarlson.com slash almanac, You'll get to the store. You could pre-order the almanac or guide, the audio guide, right? Again, just to repeat it, it's going to be like 31 chapters, one for each team, where we're going to break down the fantasy value of all the fantasy-relevant players and all the teams. It's going to be insane. Brian, I actually don't even know how we're going to do it. I was starting to break down like how many hours we're going to need. I was like, we don't have it. We're going to, what, record six hours a day? I guess we will. We're going to figure out. Oh, at least. At least. This is the world's first ever. We have to make a a big impression, and we're going to get it perfect the first time out, just like every new thing. I think I'm going to buy some lozenges. I think that's something. I think I need to go to the drugstore. Some like fisherman's a bar- friend. I, I need that. Get I probably this need- a sponsor, an almanac sponsor. Let's okay. We'll work on that. But we got okay. sponsors. We got the people who supported our Kickstarter. The people who oh, bought yeah. it. That's enough. Okay. So that's going on. Check out keepingcarls.com/almanac. You could pre-order it, and we'll give you all the information you need to watch the live recordings if you're interested in that. And then once it's all done and edited, then we'll update your pre-order with the actual stuff you ordered. Okay. That's one announcement. The next announcement is that the Kakuffle, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, we're taking registrations. Registrations are already due by September 7th, so you've got a bit of time. You don't have unlimited time, so this is a league that we're designing for the patrons. And we're going to reference it a bunch of this show. So maybe I don't have to get too into it, but it's going to be a Yahoo points league. We're, we're changing things up this year, trying to keep things fresh. Anyone who was good last year and over the past few years, Nick a couple, now you got to prove that you can do it with completely different settings. So it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're interested in that, you can go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You get a bunch of perks for being a patron of Keeping Carlson for just $5 a month. And one of them is you get access to our league. And we'll talk about that a bit more. So why don't we get into our topic of actually designing a league? And, and as we go, we're going to talk about some of the decisions we made for the couple this year, because we actually made a bunch of changes based and a lot of conversations we had. I'm looking forward to rehashing these conversations now on the show. So Brian, take it away because I feel like I've been talking too long. You wanted to talk some philosophy, right? Yeah, right off the top. uh, I think like you mentioned some caveats about how a lot of this is going to be subjective and uh, we're going to talk about some basics for league design and and that's all great. But the big, the big like meta or philosophical elephant in the room, or should I say the divine beast Varuta in the room is why do we play Zelda reference? Yeah, thanks. Uh, why do we play fantasy hockey, right? What are we trying to replicate? There are a couple ways to approach fantasy hockey from a from a more meta perspective. One situation is, well, like fantasy hockey, I want to build a team like a real hockey general manager and find players who help their team win. And I want those same things to help my team win. Like they score a point, that's a good thing. They get me points, end of story. Uh, There's another sort of branch of fantasy hockey where it's like, okay, I want to play strategic and managerial game using all the events in hockey as the variables and like the things to battle over. It's almost like a, a simulation or arcade kind of question for the NBA Jam 
fans out there? The answer is somewhere in between, right? Do you want something that just applies strategy to what happens in hockey? Like we all love hockey. We all pay attention to it anyway. So why not make a game out of watching hockey and tracking hockey and predicting hockey? Or do we really just want to build the best team to to whoop our opponents? The answer, of course, somewhere in between that we want to we want a game that has that managerial strategic component, but we also, or at least my philosophy has been, I don't want my guys getting points for something that doesn't help their own hockey team. For example, penalty minutes, archaic, only dinosaurs use those in their league still. <laughs> That's just one example. And of course, we'll talk about the pros and cons. Or you could say, well, penalty minutes are just another variable that you can weigh and try and predict and try and beat someone else on. Even if it's not good for your team technically, you can make it good for the managerial quality that it adds to your your whole scheme. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. There's so many different ways to approach it. And Elon, when we design the Cupful, we really try and balance the two parts as, as best we can. Right. So, okay. So we'll keep that as our overarching theme as we're discussing all the different options you have when designing your league. It's like, like I say, to break it down, basically the fun of the game versus like the fairness of the game, I think is a lot of it. Like how much randomness do you want to introduce ver- at the expense of maybe being a little less fun? Like if you have a whole bunch of categories and penalties is one of the categories, it's another fun thing to keep track of. And I guess also for some people, some things are fun, some things are annoying, right? Like I personally enjoy having like a bunch of categories and really trying to figure out in my head how to perfectly instruct my team to you know like you know it's like playing a board game like you you mentioned simulation nba games but i could think of also like are you playing a calis like a, a really fancy european board game that's very strategic and i like those games but like you say you also want the game to be fair and you also want the game to represent actually what hockey is because we are pretending to be fantasy hockey managers here so okay so good caveat there brian let's get into some of the questions we have so the first i think big thing we want to discuss is categories leagues versus points leagues okay so this is like the big change we made for the cupful this year for the keeping carlson ultimate Patriot fantasy league i'll just be using the acronym cupful from now on so hopefully no one will be confused by that so last three seasons of the cupful we've been doing a categories league and very simply what that means is every week you're competing against your opponent well that's head to head that's a whole other thing but assuming head to head right every week you compete against your your opponent and there's a bunch of categories goals assists shots whatever and for each category you keep track of who's winning that category and at the end of the week if i won five of them and if you won four of them then i won the week five four there it is doesn't matter how badly i beat you in goals if i beat you in goals i beat you in goals i got the category some leagues would also just count that as a one nothing like you like it's a one win system but we're not getting into the finer points yet good overview of categories elon Yeah, so exactly. You could either count every category as a standings point, or you can just make it whoever won the most categories in the week won the week. You you got one win, the other team got zero. Very good point, Brian. So the other big option is you go to, with the points league, and a lot of people play in points leagues. I think that's probably the more popular. That's sort of the Yahoo's default standard format, and Yahoo seems to be the most popular, uh, What's it, what do you call it, framework, application? The platform. 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 Yahoo's the most famous, I think, platform out there. We've actually been using... Uh, fan tracks for the past couple of years, like a couple, we decided to switch over to Yahoo this year for some different reasons. Also, just to try something new. Fan tracks has so many features, but also maybe it's not as user friendly as Yahoo. So there's pros and cons, even with choosing the platform. But okay, 
points leagues. <laughs> you guys all know what it is, so I'm just rambling here. But you assign a weighting to each thing. So like a goal is worth five points, an assist is worth three points, a shot is worth 0.5. And every time your team does one of these things, a player in your team does a thing, your team is accumulating these points. At the end of the week, you might win the week 305 to 307. And you're like, okay, I want... Wait, you can't win 305 to 307. You can lose 305 to 307. But you guys get what I'm saying. So you add up all the points from all the different things. And that obviously designing the league, you have to decide what amount of points to give to each thing and it gets especially complicated when you're weighing goalies stuff versus skaters stuff and that we'll get into that with our discussion here because we had a lot of questions about how to weigh goalies like how much is a win for a goalie compared to a goal for a player it's like apples and oranges how do you even know so we'll discuss how we try to come up with this but yeah so those are the main two types of leagues categories or points i'm ready brian we're yeah. also we're, we're forgetting uh, what was the default, like the entry, the gateway to fantasy for a lot of us before like my progression uh, started with a rotisserie league, a roto format, which is where you gather points in categories all season long. And depending on where you rank in each category, you get a certain amount of points. So if you rank first in category, you get the most points. If you rank last in category, you get the least points. And it's just like your your points just sort of uh, teeter and totter all season long as you climb and fall in different categories. And that's a, that's a, that's a very classic way to play fantasy hockey. It's still a, a popular way, but we have never run the cook up full that way. And I'm, I don't think we ever will. Right. So I don't want to nitpick your nitpick, but I would say that that's still a categories league. And no. what you're discussing is the decision of head to head versus rotisserie, um, which is another decision you have to make. But it's still, you know, because you could also have a season long points league where you add up all of your point weightings for the whole season at the end, decide the winner. You're discussing a league where you have separate categories, but you're keeping track of how you did over the whole season as opposed to week to week. So, Brian, I don't even know. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start about categories versus points? Or do you yeah. want to talk about this? You just gave this hot take that we'll never do rotisserie in the cupful. We'll always do head to head. So why don't we just leave categories versus points as a tease for a second? Why do you say that? Why wouldn't we do a rotisserie league for the cupful instead of head to head? The trouble with rotisserie, and this is the trouble that I had early on in fantasy hockey too, is it's hard to keep people engaged once they see that they have blown it or they've lost a key player. There are very few ways to, to get your act back together with the wheels have fallen off for you in rotisserie. It's a long, difficult climb to get back into it. And the gap can look huge. Whereas in a points or categories league, uh, there's a little, there's, there's more flexibility for you to find other ways. Categories probably has the most available path to the top of the standings, whereas points is, uh, is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think, by the way, Brian, I thought I was listening to the PDO cast there for a second with the sirens going on in the oh, background. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, just it was my hot take. They, they were just was... responding very quickly. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think the thing with head-to-head is it's so fun. Like, I know rotisserie is probably a more fair way to go because there is a lot of randomness when it comes to head-to-head, right? Like, I could just happen to be having a bad week, but my opponent was having a worse week. So I was like the second worst team in the league that week. But lucky for me, my opponent happened to be even worse. And I got lucky to get a win when someone who got a, who had a much better week than me lost just because they played against someone 
better. So there is a little bit more luck involved with head-to-head, but I think it's outweighed by how fun it is. You've got your, like, every Sunday is going to be the deciding day that determines if you won your matchup. It's so exciting. You're watching the game, even, like, Saturday, because that's the big day with all the games. So it really adds a lot of suspense and excitement, I feel like, at the end of every week. Plus, you could trash talk. Like, you have the person you're playing, like, you're going down, Brian. I'm going to take you this week. So I just really like head-to-head. It's a lot of fun. I think it's worth it, even though it's a little bit more fair. And again, that's our trade-off, right? Fun versus fair. I think if you really want to simplify it, and I really like the fun of head-to-head, I would never want to give it up. I will add that, like, I really like the concept of rotisserie. And one of my, I have a whole bunch of, like, utopian dream league setups that don't like they're not possible they don't exist on any platform but i would love to try them out and one of them is to have a series of month-long rotisserie leagues they have a rotisserie league you draft at the start of the year and then at the end of the month like once monthly you tally up the points everybody keeps those for the rest of the season and then you redraft and start again so it's like a a series of redrafting and and getting credit for what you've done but also being able to start over with a clean slate maybe like a slight keeper thing in between like i said i have a few different ideas that don't uh, have the possibility to exist but if any enterprising programmer coder wants to to set this up i'll happily try it out well hey brian you could always go old school right remember back in the day when you we used to have drafts we used to get together we used to write down our picks on a big board and then when the newspaper would come out with the every single team and how many points every player on every team has then you'd get out your calculator you'd add it up you'd figure it out so maybe you could do that with your league but yeah we actually got a few fun suggestions for non-standard leagues and i put them in our document here we'll get to them at the end of the show we definitely thank the people who sent us suggestions including steve laidlaw which is very exciting from dabber hockey he sent us a couple of really cool suggestions but okay brian we've teased it enough why did we switch the cacuffle from categories to points aside from the obvious reason that just we've done categories we wanted to try something new there was a lot of debate on our facebook group when we announced this change some people were like oh my god yes i was thinking of not even coming back to the cacuffle but now that i see that it's a points league that i'm totally in and other people were like oh my god you just made this league a baby league an easy league point categories is so much more challenging points like you're trying to dumb it down for people so those were sort of the the far ends of the arguments a lot of people were also just like i'm good with whatever i'm, I'm down to have a good time but uh i i enjoy the the extreme opinions because they're really fun to debate and discuss so why not before we like have the debate ourselves why don't we just go through some like pros and cons for each like brian why don't we just have a, a good old-fashioned standard debate what what side do you want to be on do you want to argue for points or do you want to argue for categories oh i was not prepared i did not prepare a side i prepared both sides i'm okay, a very fine. diplomatic person okay you debate pick, you pick a side no debate against yourself was just an idea i had right now i forgot <laughs> you like to have everything planned and methodically organized i didn't mean to throw you a curveball <laughs> You know, Brian, you know, when we do our almanac next week, I don't think I'm going to have every single question (laughs) planned for you in advance. Some things might come up, so I hope that we'll be able to figure this out. Well, I'm just saying, I'm not, I don't, okay. You want to do a debate? No, I'm just messing around. Take it from here. I have pros and cons, like, already set up. I don't need to hear yours. You have some pros and cons already set up. I'll I'll also acknowledge right off the top that you mentioned, uh, like, the, the sort of, reticence some people having categories leagues to to think points leagues are serious well there are some pretty hardcore people out there in in hockey and statistics like we had dom uh on the show last year and he was like points leagues are the only way like that that's all it can be if you're not doing a points league it's automatically a clown league for your fantasy hockey situation like i don't agree i don't agree with that i don't agree with that but i also don't agree with thinking like harrison in the chat 
uh, just before the show got started. He said, sorry to point to you, Ed Harrison, but you essentially encapsulated what a lot of people have said to us since we changed the format from categories to points for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, that it is uh, that points is like checkers and categories is like chess. And I just don't buy into that. The points is like easy just because like maybe it is more accessible, but I don't think that automatically makes it easier or simpler or less complicated. I think if you're against top tier competition, it's going to be the same or a similar degree of difficulty either way. And right. a cup. Right. If I, if I could just jump in there. Yeah. yeah. The idea with the cupful is you're going to be in a division with 13 other people who support a fantasy hockey podcast, right? So you're going to be playing in a league of, of 14 people who are really intense and want to win. And I feel like as long as it's fair, like, I think that's the real thing that it comes down to is like, are we coming up with a format where the better player, the more engaged player is going to have a better chance to win? But yeah, just to say one's checkers and chess at the end of the day, someone's going to come in last place. And that person is going to feel like, man, this was a really hard game of checkers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If you play checkers against the world champion in checkers or chess against a four-year-old, I know which one's more fun. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, enough with the analogy. Points. Love Harrison. Two benefits, uh, two benefits to a points league right off the top that I think uh, are going to be excited to play in the couple this year. Benefit one. In a points league, you get credit for everything your team does. In categories, you beat your opponent by one assist or 20. It comes out to the same consequence for that category. In points, though, this matters. It's not just your opponent's score plus one that you get credit for. If you like blow the top off the goals categories, if your shooters just go insane for a week, you're going to get full credit for that for the week, and that might help overcome shortfalls in other categories. So I'm all for uh, you getting to reap the full benefits, the full fruits of your team's labor. The other main benefit of points leagues over categories is that uh, you can weight each category specifically. Like you can decide how much more valuable a goal is compared to an assist, compared to uh, a hit, compared to a block, compared to a goalie win, especially Uh a lot of people in categories leagues have a hard time figuring out how to make the goalie categories not be such a huge factor. And I think points leagues give you the option to really, uh, to really temper and control the effect of goalie success and goalie wins or lack thereof. A goal in a points league is worth more than an assist or whatever else. And in a categories league, a goal is worth the same as a block, essentially. So I like being able to single out certain categories as being objectively more valuable than others. Okay, so I guess I will respectfully disagree with one thing. As you said, in a categories like a goal is worth the same as a block. That's not true just because blocks happen so much more often. Like, that's the key point in a categories league. You could take people who, like, you know, who are going to... Like, it's definitely not like if you get a block and you get a goal, your team is going to do just as well. No, but you, you, to- win, you win the goals category. It's the same as winning the, the blocks category. Like, I can beat you with a lucky goalie save percentage week and winning if there are enough categories, winning like three bangers categories, even though your team is offensively superior to mine. 
Right. Okay. So I think we're just talking about slightly different things. I thought you meant like one goal is equal to one block, but you just mean like the category of goals is equal to the category of blocks. And of course there is the thing in a categories league where it's useful to get players who you can stack, right? Players who can contribute in multiple categories. If you have a player who gives you shots and goals and hits and, you know, power play points, whatever, then that player is really valuable. That's your Alex Ovechkin in a bangers and mash league becomes one of the most valuable players just because he contributes in so many categories, even though he doesn't give you blocks. And yeah, if you have a defenseman who's going to get you a ton of points and a ton of blocks, that was John Carlson and Roman Yosi for a while, even though both of them have seemed to stop. But Eric Carlson was killing it in blocks. He was like the league leader in blocks for a lot of the season a couple of years ago, which was insane because he was also one of the league leaders in points for a defenseman. So there are obviously it's not as if you could say that you, you're going to draft like a blocks guy in the first round because it doesn't matter. Grab Chris Russell because he's best in blocks in round one. There's a little bit more nuance, but I definitely am with you, Brian, in that when you're in a points league, you could really pinpoint and f- make make it make a fine distinction between each thing that you're counting and make them worth what you want them to be worth. Also, I think another really nice thing about a points league versus a categories league is in a categories league, you kind of don't want to include categories where the event is rare, even if it's like a skilled thing. But if you have like a category for shutouts, most weeks... Oh, what happened over there? Sorry, headphone fell out. Oh, yeah. get, get that in your ear. Squeeze it in. Okay, in most in most uh, weeks in uh, categories league, if you have shutouts, it's going to be zero zero, right? Because what, like uh, the most shutouts in the league for a goalie is like eight or something, and that's like the best goalie. Like most of the time, there's not going to be a shutout in the week, and then it basically comes down to who can get the shutout of the week, which doesn't seem very fair, right? They're, it's pretty random and it's so rare. But in a points league, it's so easy to just be like, okay, a win is worth three, and then if you get a shutout, then you get an extra two, so then it's worth five if you had a win with a shutout, and you know, so it doesn't matter how rare it is when it happens, if it happens. You get a bonus for it. For the Cacuffle this year, we're having some points for shutouts. We're also having some points for shorthanded points, which I think is a very skilled thing to do. It's very impressive for a player to get a shorthanded point. It's probably one of the most, I think it is, the most difficult type of goal you can score is a shorthanded goal because your team was down a man and you were still able to somehow get it down the ice and score a goal. So why not reward it? But in a categories league it's like crazy to have a whole category dedicated just to shorthanded points because they rarely happen it's going to be just luck based like once in a while you'll get it once in a while you won't you can't really draft for shorthanded points so yeah we, like in the couple for the past few years we've been doing special teams points which was power play points plus shorthanded points but i kind of think a shorthanded point is like a lot more impressive than a power play point if anything a power play point is really easy to score right like uh, th- that's when your team has the advantage the main reason i like to give an extra category for power play points in a categories league is just because to give extra value to those players who get on the top power play and just it makes it another thing to also have to count because that's another thing with categories leagues is you need to have a certain amount of categories to make it worthwhile you can't just have a categories league and and do goals and assists and call it a day right so i do think there is that point all all the rambling aside right that points leagues let you really pinpoint what you want on the other side brian if i may make a counterpoint now to the things you said Yes, now let's let's both join the other side of this debate, which is category leagues are better. Yeah. yeah. I think categories leagues have a bit more gamesmanship to them. And by that, I mean kind of like what you said, Brian. Like, let's say your team, you drafted and you realize, man, my teams don't really score that many goals. If you're in a points league and you don't have players who score goals, 
you're going to be in some trouble, right? Like usually assists aren't worth as much. Shots aren't worth as much like hits and blocks in a categories league. You could be strategic and you could be like, okay, how about I just really focus on getting good goalies and focus on getting some guys who hit and block. And maybe I'll be able to sneak some wins with my peripherals and get lucky with some goalies. And you can, and also like later in the week, if you realize you're doing badly in a single week, you can maybe pick up like that blocks guy to get you over the top in blocks in a points league. Everyone just has a number associated with them, right? It's just like one dimension as opposed to in categories. Like there's multiple dimensions so in a points league, when I'm looking at my free agents and seeing who to add, we're all like going for the same players, right? Like we're all sorting by who has the most points per game or whatever, or most points per game over the last month or, you know, whatever. We're sorting by different things, but we're all looking at the same number and deciding who we think is going to have the highest amount of that number. In a categories league, you're looking at a whole bunch of different numbers and trying to figure out what you need for your team. If you're already up in assists, there's no point picking up a guy who mainly just gets assists there's no point picking up joe thornton if you're already leading in assists and you're down in shots and goals you might as well pick up someone else well someone else might really want joe thornton and actually that also helps you for trades right in a categories league you could really figure it out we're like you need a shots guy i need a goals guy we could work out a trade i guess shots of guys and goals guys are usually the same guys but you know what i mean in a, in a points league there's that one dimension though there still is some room to wiggle, right? Like some people need forwards, some people need defense. Like we're going to get into the whole roster settings. I think that could help differentiate players. And also there's just the idea that uh, how much risk you want to take. Like there's some players in points leagues who you know they're going to be, a, like Radko Gudas, I'm sure in like a couple, he's going to get you like three hits and two blocks every game, which is going to be worth like, let's say two or three points. So if you just want to get a steady down the road guy, that's going to like give you reliable production, you could pick up Gudas or you could roll the dice and take someone like say a Joe Thornton, who if he gets a point, that's great that he'll be worth more than Gudas, but there's also a good chance he'll give you zero points because if he doesn't get a goal or assist, he's unlikely to get you a shot. Or like Henrik Sedin was a great example of this, right? He's unlikely to get you a shot or a block or a hit or anything. So anyways, that's my main point here was categories. Categories leagues are, I think, a bit more gamesmanship, while points leagues, maybe you can make the argument that they're a bit more straightforward in the actual game of fantasy hockey. Yeah, so so and I'll summarize it even in a more neater way than you just said, Elon. In a in a points league, all players are of equal value to all owners. Whereas in a categories league, you'll find, uh, you, like you said, you'll be chasing one category, some will be chasing another. And on one hand, it's great to have the freedom and not all be chasing, you know, the same objectively best guy. Although there still rarely is an objectively best guy in a points league like you said there's a ceiling floor thing to negotiate uh, and of course what you predict from a certain player is going to be different from another manager so you are going head to head and trying to figure out exactly who is the objectively best player so there could be some fun in that but you also lose the opportunity to sort of search for different characteristics of players although you know, you might say that makes it a little easier in a categories league where, you know, you're not competing for you're the only one who's looking for a blocks guy, although usually your opponent is probably going to also if you're looking for one. But at the same time, it's uh, you can sort of be a little sneaky and be off radar and not be at all like on the same track. It's like going back to a board game, Elon, if you choose a, a different path to victory, uh, you might be the only one on that path to victory. And in that sense, it becomes uh, resources become uh, more available to you. So this way, resources are equally scarce for everybody, which is, a, I think, a con before it is a pro, but I can see the flip side as well. And of course, that does lead into what you also got into, uh, which is that in a points league, you might feel like you have less managerial control. 
right? There are fewer paths to victory than in a categories league where you have some room to be creative, where if one path fails, you can choose another way. In a points league, you got to have the most points. That's, that's the end of the story. Yeah, as to your point, Brian, I guess we'll, we'll move on from this soon because we have a whole bunch of other things we wanted to talk about aside from categories. And we, when, what we should have said off the top, if you've listened to this episode in previous years, uh, listener questions also coming. You might have mentioned this, Elon. I think I did. I don't it's something you... new that we're adding to the episode this year. We'll get to them at some point. What a random thing to say. <laughs> okay, what I was going to say about your point about um, being able to have different ways to victory. I know last year in the Cupful, we had seven categories. Two of them were for goalies and five of them were for skaters, which I think turned out to be something that it was. it's tricky. Some people decided to just punt their goalie categories, not even draft goalies until the very end, because especially because in a categories league, you could have a category like save percentage, which is so random week in and week out. Like You could only have like two goalie starts and then win save percentage of goals against average. If you had good starts, you know, you hit your minimum. You don't even have to play anymore. So, so many ways to win in a category like in a points league. You want to get goalies who are going to play games and get you points. You're not just going to play your goalies twice and then sit them because there's more points on the table to be had. So, okay, Brian, next now that we've talked about points versus categories, of course, we didn't come to a conclusion. The conclusion is this year in the Cupful, we're trying out points. We're going to get into a little later in this episode how we broke down the weighting of the points and the, and the decisions we made there. But yeah, we're going to try it out. The, the fun of the Cupful, I feel like, is every year we try something different and we keep the league fresh. And if we end up finding that we didn't like it as much, we could always change back. So if you played in the couple before and you're nervous or apprehensive about switching from categories to points, I say give it a try, see how you do. I'm excited for it. I haven't played I've played in points leagues before, but it was always with people that weren't very good at fantasy hockey and they were easy leagues. This is going to be my first points league against people who really know what they're doing, so I'm excited for that. So Brian, next, let's talk about what categories to count in either a points league or a categories league. Like what stats do we care about and what stats do we not care about? So let's start with Victor's question who asked very plainly what categories are best? And he also asked, are there any good sources or articles discussing the merits of each category? He wants to like propose this to his league. He feels like his league has uh, like too many categories that he doesn't like. And he wants to try to propose to them to use different ones. He's asking us to give him resources. How about this for a resource? Send them this episode. We're going to talk about it right now. And we're going to give you our opinions on what is better, what is worse. Some things I think are based on opinion. I think some things you can make some really good arguments for. Like, it's going to be hard to convince me, for example, that you want to count plus minus. So, Brian, how about I bring up the list of uh, categories that are offered on Yahoo? This is like the standard platform. And then why don't we just go through them and we can discuss if we think they should be included in most leagues or if we have anything to debate about if we like them or not. Okay. Okay. All right, so goals. Yeah. If you're in a league that doesn't count goals, that's weird, right? That's like, that's the thing. That's what you care about the most. Of course, goals, assists, of course. We'll get to like how to weigh goals versus assists. In a categories league, you usually just have everything weighed the same. In a points league, usually you want to give a few more points to goals because uh, there's an article that I... Uh, actually used a lot when coming up with the point weighting for the Cupful this year, the Commissioner's Manifesto. And they pointed out that usually there's 1.7 assists on every goal. So why not use that same ratio in breaking down how much each is worth? So if a goal is worth five fantasy points, that would make an assist worth 2.94 fantasy points. And in the Cupful, we actually rounded to three. So that's actually how we came up with five points for a goal and three, four assists. Anyways, okay, goals and assists, obviously. Another very popular one, which I think is the one that I hate the most, is plus minus, okay? Uh, so plus minus. If you're on the ice when a goal is scored, 
then you get a plus. And if you're on the ice when a goal scored against you, assuming you're not like uh, on the power play or whatever, or, or I guess that's a plus, you can't get a plus on the power play. You guys all know what plus minus is, right? If you're on the ice when a goal scored against you, you get a minus. Yeah, and enough so about you... explaining plus minus. Yeah, We're done. the idea, the, the thing that's wrong with it is look what I said, you're on the ice. You, didn't, you don't even necessarily have to have done anything. You could have just, like, been playing great. You really boxed out the defense and you did everything you needed to do. And then your goalie was, like, Eddie Lack or someone or some Carolina Ouch. goalie that can't stop the puck. And next thing you know, your player has negative. Like, do you think it's a coincidence that Oliver ekman Larson has been, like, one of the worst in plus minus forever? Like, Eric Carlson. Oh, the year that the Sens made the playoffs and were a really strong team, he had a good plus minus. Last year, when their goaltending was terrible, and Craig Anderson couldn't stop anything. He had a low plus minus. And people are like, oh, I guess Eric Carlson's a much worse player now, now that his plus minus has gone down. Or maybe the team was worse. The goalie was worse. The goalie has so much effect on it. And also on the other side, right? Like you're on the ice and your team scores a goal. You could have like fell down. You like made tried to make a pass. You fell down. Someone else took the puck and went and scored. You get a plus. Brian, what is going on over there? Sorry, a, a thingy on my desk dropped. <laughs> mute. Well, you can also mute yourself, you know, while I'm talking. Anyway, it, does, it doesn't often happen. So I don't know why plus minus is so popular. I think it's like a dumb category and it's not that predictable and if it is predictable it's just based on what team the players are it just makes yeah. it so that okay i don't want to draft buffalo guys that's it's fun a, it's a team stat more than a player stat. you might as well have on ice save percentage be a category um anyone who's played like the nhl series of video games be a pro like if you've ever done that for even three games you've definitely had a moment where you just stepped on the ice and a goal was scored against you and you had the minus on your hanging on your on your pro and that moment is all you need to feel empathy and understand why plus minus is a garbage stat for fantasy and real life purposes scrap it nobody cares yeah use corsi but not for fantasy but uh, like like they should or talk use about it that for fantasy well, sure. I guess if it's track, like that's a whole other conversation, right? Like some people want to be in leagues. And I think uh, fan track supports some really crazy categories. Maybe you can count takeaways and Corsi and stuff. But I also kind of like to be able to open up my The Score app and see how my team is doing when I'm in the bathroom at a restaurant in the middle of the season. And I don't know how to go find Corsi really easily. So definitely I like categories that are also the thing. Like I like to use Corsi and like, you know, shot attempts and all of those things to help come up with which players I'm going to take. And that's what we use on the podcast all of the time to try to project how players are going to do. I don't know if it needs to be a fantasy category. I think it could be a predictive thing. But anyway, plus minus, bye. Okay, next, penalty minutes. Also, I mean, I like penalty minutes better than plus minus. I'll say that right away because at least penalty minutes, I feel like there's some like like some players are good at getting them and other players aren't. It doesn't matter what team you're on. It doesn't like you're the one responsible for getting those penalty minutes. Of course, on the other side of it is like, what are we even measuring here? Like your ability to cheat? So to me, that seems a bit of a weird thing to want to care about. Like, is in ba- I've never played fantasy basketball, but are they counting fouls as a category? Uh, I don't know, but I don't think so. I played years ago. No, fouls are not a category. So, okay. So then penalty minutes, Brian, is there, do you guys have anything you want to say about it? You hate penalty minutes. You want to even have negative penalty minutes. No, I think, I think getting a negative for penalty minutes would be a great thing. Having that as a negative category, as Alex in the chat has mentioned, his league does that. Although it still is pretty random, especially over the course of a week. You know, if your guy takes a 15 minute major or just happens to skate away scot-free from any, it's not like an event that I get excited by. 
when I'm watching it. So it's not a reason. Uh, that's a reason to not include it in yeah. your league, whether that's it's positive a, or negative points. That's a really good point. You want to be able, like, I love to watch a game where I have a lot of players on my fantasy team playing in that game and then cheer for the things that happen. So a shot on goal is maybe the least exciting of the things that I like to be counted. But still, it's kind of funny. Like, oh, great. He took a shot. But yeah, someone took a penalty, whatever. If you want to measure, the, the reason why I think penalty minutes are counted is because people like toughness, right? Like, that's what it comes down to. They want to have gritty, tough players so in that case at the very least i know brian you're not even a fan of this category but if you had to pick one i'd much prefer to use hits than penalty minutes because at least a hit doesn't stop play and the person gets taken off because he cheated and broke the rules a uh, hit is a legal play in hockey it's part of the game and we actually decided I, I had to fight you a bit on this one brian but a lot of people like playing with hits i think it's fun so we decided to include it it's not worth so much so again i told you a goal is worth five a hit is going to be worth 0.25 in the cupful. So you're not going to run away with your week if you pick up Mark Borowiecki, but you might get a little bonus of taking, say, Alex Ovechkin versus, I don't know, Nikita Kucherov, because Ovechkin also gives you some hits every once in a while. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on hits? I know you don't like it. Are, did I really, how hard did I have to push you in order to get you to agree to use it this year in the cupful? So the way you got me to use it is the way that I was convinced to use it in a categories league uh, in the past, which is you might as well, like it's just another way that players can register an event. Like this is going back to that question I asked at the beginning of the episode about, you know, what are we playing fantasy hockey for? This is just another event that's tracked Um, penalty minutes. One of the reasons I don't like them is that they're also super subjective. They might depend on the refereeing crew, whether players playing four games at home one week or four games on the road is also going to affect the number of penalty minutes that they're likely to take. Hits are also subjective. Uh, there was This is a while ago now, but the reason I used to say on this annual episode that you shouldn't track hits in your league is that there's a lot of scorer bias involved. Like you could find arenas around the league where there were more hits in each game than uh, any other arena. And it was incons- It just showed that there was inconsistency in what was a hit. A lot of the times the home team would be credited with more hits. And this is all just how subjectivity does creep in to stat collection. It gets in there in shots on goals too. Uh, not quite as much as in hits, which is not quite as much as in penalty minutes necessarily. But essentially, uh, I don't love it because hits are not proven to help your team win so if you want players who have a positive impact for their team a hit is not going to do it and of course that's a entire other debate that we're not getting into right now but that's where I stand Um, and so if you're going to count it it's just another way to play the game right it just adds another layer to fantasy hockey to player valuation and that's that's the only reason I can get with hits being in a league And I guess it also lends some more value to defenders who are hard to value, which is why we 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 count blocks in the kickupful and why I advocate to count blocks in my other fantasy leagues. Otherwise, defensemen are really left out in the cold if they're not, you know, 50 points or more scorers. So you count blocks, you count hits, and suddenly those guys carry a little more value and are more competitive uh, to consider adding to your team in addition to, say, a 50-point forward. Yeah, I feel like in theory, hits is really fun because I could imagine watching a game and I have a player on my fantasy team and then I see him do a big hit and it's like, oh, I just got a hit. Look how exciting it was. But in practice, I find when I'm watching a game and I have a player on my fantasy team that's in the game, I like all of a sudden, like I see on my phone that they got a hit and it's like, when? I, I missed it. 
I feel like that happens also with blocks for me. Maybe I'm not paying attention to the right things. I feel like hits and blocks happen. And unless it's like super obvious, I feel like most of the times I just miss it. Like they, the players just like skated by each other and all of a sudden someone got credited with the hit, which I guess is what you said, Brian, that they're yeah. a little bit subjective. But they should be more fun anyways than penalty minutes. And every once in a while there is a big hit and it's kind of fun to see it, assuming no one got hurt, of course. And it was like a fair legal hit, not near the head. You guys all know Brian and I want everyone to be healthy so you don't have to deal with injuries all the time. And also these are also actually real people. So, okay. <laughs> All right, next category to discuss. Okay, power play points. I think this is a very interesting discussion, okay? Because power play points, like I said before, my eyes were really opened by this article by the, the Commissioner Manifesto. And that's obviously the name. Who's it by? Johnny Fantasy. Uh, Who is on Twitter and follows us and has uh, has chatted with us in the past. So, hey, Johnny Fantasy. Hey, I loved your articles. And I was really convinced. Like, I never really thought of it, even though it's so obvious. Like, power play points are easy to get. So why are we giving bonuses? Why in a categories league would you have a category for goals and assists and then another category for power play points when you're all these people the players who are getting power play points there's like so valuable and, and it's not even that hard to get a power play point like when you're on the power play it's easier to score the shooting percentages are higher like there's more shot attempts like you you guys all know so brian what like why do people even include power play points in categories leagues is it just because they are like just another thing to count yeah well, I think it also is like a clear reward for a player who is such an important piece and such a contributor to their squad that they get top billing on that top power play unit and just get fed opportunities when their team has an advantage. They're the go-to player to, to make something happen. And that should be worth some value in fantasy leagues. If you're going by, I want to build a team of the most valuable players, but it also really really separates them you know like like you said Elon they're getting extra free opportunities and because they're given these like I don't, I'm not calling them freebies at all but they're being given like some really high percentage opportunities is that worth rewarding or is the fact that they're just getting a point period regardless of whether it's on the power play that they have all these opportunities to just get a point enough and so we decided for the cupful this year that it is enough that they just get all these extra opportunities to score a point and that they don't need a power play bonus on top of that, which I think does just drive the gap, like make a, make a bigger divide, make superstars all that more powerful and say harder to overcome losing a superstar in your lineup due to injury or, or whatever else. It, it helps close the gap between player value. Yeah, Harrison said in the chat, the reason why you include power play is because it's fun to see your player get a power play point. And that's his answer. And it's true. I feel like the thing is in a categories league, it's different, right? Because you need to have a bunch of different categories because you want to cheer for different things. And I love when first I see that my player scored, then I realize it was on the power play. It's like, yes, I just got a goal. I just got a shot. I just got a power play point. I needed a power play point to overtake my opponent. So I think it is very exciting. And I think it is worth it to count power play points in categories leagues, even just because we're, we've been poo-pooing so many categories and we're going to continue to do it. Uh, hint hint uh watch out game winning goals we're gonna get to you soon but yeah i feel like in a points league where you really get to just weigh things out and at the end you just add up the different points it's not about i needed a power play point you just need points overall so i think in that case it does make sense and i really am excited to see how this will go for us right to not count power play points in the cupful this year you're gonna get five points for a goal three points for assist if you have a player on the top power play that's really good for you because you're gonna have a higher likelihood of having a player get goals and assists I'll also add in that like power play opportunities 
can be very variable also. So giving a player an extra bonus because their team happens to get more power plays than other teams in a given week is just maybe another sort of unfair part of it. Of course, I could totally justify giving a bonus for power play points too, but it's not what we chose for the cupful this year. So I'm just just trying to explain our side of the coin here. Yeah, again, a lot of this stuff is just what you like. And I think that's also what Alex was saying for a lot of things. It depends what you want to do. And so we don't think one thing is right and one thing is wrong, as long as you're not including plus minus. And, you know, you just go with what you want to do. And I'm excited to see, like I said, how it's going to look without power play points being counted in this a points league. Okay, then we have shorthanded points, which I already brought up, which I think is like the opposite. You don't want to count them in a categories league. I already discussed this, right? You don't want to count them because they're too rare in a points league. I'd love to get a bonus for that. If my player scores, a shorthanded goal. If I have Alex Barkov, who's really good shorthanded, that he should be a little more viable. It's not going to make a huge difference. It's only going to happen three or four times in the season. But on those weeks when Barkov does score a shorthanded goal, I'll get an extra point. See if it matters. Probably won't. But it'll be fun in the moment to get that extra point. So I think there's no reason not to count shorthanded points in points leagues. And I guess it's pretty obvious why you wouldn't want to count them isolated in categories leagues just because they're so random. Anything else to say about that? No. Continue. Wait. Game-winning goals. Okay, this one sucks. This is like plus-minus, okay? Because a game-winning goal... like The idea of plus-minus was to try to measure like how much your player is helping your team. But really, it's just like measuring like if you happen to get unlucky and your goalie let in a bad goal while you're on the ice. Like Same with game-winning goals, right? It's supposed to measure you scored a big goal in the clutch. And I like that. Like If, let's say, an overtime goal could have an extra value in a, in a points league, I think that would make a lot of sense. Or like a... a winning goal in the third period or even the tying goal in the third period these are like big clutch goals super exciting why not give something extra for that so i'm all behind the idea behind game winning goals but in practice it's just goes to the person who scored the goal that turned out to be the the winning goal so if your team wins five to two then whoever scored the third goal to make it let's say three nothing in the second period that wasn't a big clutch goal that was just a nothing goal at the time that then right at the end of the game when the other team scored their second goal with two seconds left then that goal in the second period becomes a game-winning goal like come on it's, it's silly. So unless that category gets changed and they change the rules, like I'd be up for coming up with a new definition of game-winning goals. Or let's say it has to be the goal that broke the tie and then that's how the game ended. Or, you know, like whatever. We'd have to work it out. But the way it is now, I think it's a dumb category. I don't think you should use it. Yeah, some people use it as a way to just reward goal scorers. It's like every goal you score is a lottery ticket to get points or credit in another category. And so that is the justification if you want to use it but it is uh, pretty much a lottery ticket. Like the more goals you score, the more game-winning goals you're going to have, but it does not prove what game-winning goals, uh, what people, I think, hope game-winning goals prove, which is clutch or scoring in key situations or close games. Uh, You'd need a little more uh, nuance if you really wanted to reward that. So uh, like if there were a category for goals scored while the score is either tied or a one-goal difference, Uh, For sure. Like maybe you'd be into that. But again, you're favoring goal scorers there as well. Yeah, and we have already decided, like I said, in the cupful, we're going to count it as five for a goal, only three for an assist. So it's enough, okay? Be very happy with your goal and and move on with your life, okay? You just got five points. So next, shots on goal. I love that category. I love shooters. I love it in a categories league. I feel like it's a really good strategy to just fill your team with guys who take a lot of shots. And like I just feel like good things are going to happen. You're usually, these guys who get a lot of shots are usually the ones on the power player, usually the ones scoring a lot of goals, unless they have really bad aim, I guess. So I like shots as a category. In a points league, the tricky thing is to figure out how much to weigh them. And we decided the couple, five points for a goal. How about 0.5 
for a shot. So basically every 10 shots is equivalent to one goal, which is pretty similar to what a uh, shooting percentage is in the league. Like in this, the commissioner's manifesto document that I was referencing before, they were saying that the shooting percentage for the NHL has been hovering around 8.9% for the past few years. This is a few years old, but whatever, it doesn't change that much. So they were saying 8.9% shooting percentage in the NHL. So based on that, a shot on goal should be worth uh, like 0.45 fantasy points if you have five for a goal. So we rounded up to 0.5. So you get something for a shot. And if you have a player who takes like eight shots in a game, if like Alex Ovechkin goes off, that's almost worth a goal right there. And I like it. I like shots. Brian, do you have anything against using shots? Or maybe are we like weighing it too high? I'm curious to know what your what your thoughts are. Because a shot at the end of the day isn't a goal, right? Why Should we be rewarding a shot even though it didn't go in? Yeah, of course you should. One of the problems with goals in terms of using that, to, and this is the whole argument for using Corsi, a.k.a. shot attempts, to gauge a player's value, is that goals are essentially random events in a hockey game. It happens to be the time that you do put a puck towards the net and it gets past the goalie. And yes, there is skill involved, but it's also quite random and dependent on a lot of other factors, whereas actually getting the shot attempt itself is the more repeatable skill. It's the skill where you have a a greater sample of it. So the more times something happens, the more reliably it can measure what you hope to measure. So that's why Corsi and shot attempts became a thing. And that's why shots are a thing in fantasy hockey. And just in general, I value anyone who is taking shots on net. If we really wanted to take it to the next level, uh, we would be able to count shot assists and shot contributions in our fantasy leagues. Uh, This is some new research being done uh, using data from Ryan Stimson's passing project and Corey Snyder's uh, three zones tracking project. I actually was in touch. uh, I think his name is Alan at loser points on Twitter did a, a presentation at the Rochester analytics conference that happened this past weekend on shot contributions. And I've talked about it a lot without actually explaining what it is. So a shot assist is exactly what it sounds like. It's the player who makes a pass to set up a shot. Now you can count the last two players to touch the puck before the shot is taken, or you can count only the guy uh, who passed it last before the shot is taken. But these are valuable events too. And we are slowly getting enough data necessary to be able to track them or at least estimate them with the data that the NHL actually collects. If you want to actually bona fide track them, you need to watch every game and write it down yourself because the NHL is not capturing this data. But hopefully before long, it will be easily capturable and it would be so much fun to implement in a fantasy league. Yeah, for sure. Like shot assists, I think is again, that's kind of like what I was talking about before with shot attempts and Corsi. Like, I feel like that's a really useful predictive tool. Like this player should have gotten more points last year, but had bad luck. Like he had so many shot assists, but then the people who were taking the shots were having a below average shooting percentage. I don't know necessarily if it needs to be in fantasy, but that's a whole other discussion, I guess. Alex in the chat thinks maybe we're weighing shots too highly, making it 10 shots equal to one goal. He was saying in his league, it's 19 shots equal to a goal. He said it's a personal thing. He like doesn't like seeing a guy pile on a bunch of shots and getting a goal and an assist worth of points. So, Brian, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this works out at the cup full. Because I guess I could see one downside of weighing shots a lot is it is giving forwards a big advantage over defensemen, right? Because forwards generally shoot a lot more. It's very rare, unless you're Brent Burns, it's very rare to see your defenseman taking a lot of shots. So um, it's going to be something interesting to watch. But uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? No, I don't think we're weighing shots too high. Like if a shooter 
happens to go cold, I'm happy to just give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, you've put 10 shots on net. You deserve the value of a goal, whether you've actually been rewarded with it in real life or not. I'm happy with that. But what if they took 10 shots on goal and nine of them missed and one of them went in? We're basically giving him two goals. It's a goal bonus. There you go. Okay, so it'll be really fun to see. And by the way, the whole thing about defensemen versus forwards and wanting to get them enough points, again, that could be rectified just by using defense roster spots. Because in the end, it all comes down to value over replacement. I think the main thing you need to care about is that are the defensemen able to differentiate themselves from each other and in the same way that a forward is? Like, is a top defenseman in your league worth the same amount of difference to the top free agent defenseman versus like the top forward in your league to the top forward defenseman. Like if you, if that number is equal, then I think that you're fine. Even if a forward is worth more than a defenseman, because you don't have room on your roster. You've got to fill these four spots with defensemen. So you need to get the ones that are better than the other ones, right? In your draft. Like if you wait till the very end of your draft, then you're going to end up drafting a bunch of forwards when you could have had similar forwards and then your defensemen are going to end up costing you like 40 points or whatever for each defenseman because you waited so long and all the good ones were gone so i think the problem comes if you like only weigh let's say blocks or something for a defenseman and then all of them are pretty much the same so yeah i think that you don't have to worry so much about like how many points a forward has versus a defenseman it's a bit like more complicated than that it's really all about value over replacement and trying to get that even we tried to get it with the couple uh Alex is saying he thinks shots will end up ruling the cupful. So it'll be fun to see if that ends up being the case. And uh, let us know, by the way, if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson or if you're planning on participating in the cupful, tweet at us or write on our Facebook group. We can still have this discussion. Nothing is set in stone. It's like we, we are planning on going with this settings. But if a lot of people have opinions, we're definitely willing to discuss. That's part of the reason why we're having this episode. We're trying to open a discussion here. Uh, Brian, so next, I think another big one we need to discuss is face-offs. Right? A lot of leagues count face-offs. We've never counted them in the cupful, neither like face-offs one or face-off percentage. I know is a category in a lot of categories leagues. I, in my opinion, I just feel like I don't like the idea that face-offs can only, they only go to centers, right? Like not all of the players are eligible to participate in this category. So it just gives centers so much more value. And I guess the counterpoint could be that centers should be given more value because it's a very difficult, important position. But then again, you could take care of that by value over replacement for other centers. So I don't know. I just don't like the idea of just giving an inflated value to a center just because he takes faceoffs. Like I know there is, there are some players who are better at faceoffs than others, and it would be nice to capture that. But I don't think it's that fair that you have one player who just doesn't take them because he's a winger, and then another player who just happens to have a bunch of them because he's a center. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's also not that common for a player to be far above or below the 50% face-off win mark. So it's not like something that you really need to be going out of your way to reward. There's like a precious few number of centers who are going to be above and then a bunch that you want to avoid and that hurts their value. Also, in a lot of leagues, having a lot of centers isn't something that happens because centers can be a dime a dozen when you get to a certain point in uh, your team depth. Whereas wingers, there's a bit of a premium on them. And I don't like sort of changing the balance of that too much. I I don't have a good reason for not wanting to change the balance of that too much. Like I, I like knowing that if you find a really great winger, it's a better find than a center uh, who like if you're not counting faceoffs and doesn't get credit for them uh, because they might have a little bit more sting power on your roster. Also, it's a total volume thing, right? Like there could just be more faceoffs in a given game if you're doing a categories league and you're counting faceoffs taken or faceoff wins. Uh, if a player plays more often, 
They're going to take more face-offs. There are more whistles in a the game. They're going to take more face-offs. And I know that these things can also be affected. Like volume is uh, a determining factor for how many shots a player gets in a game or maybe a p- number of power plays they get, which leads to how many points. So you can extend that argument to go against some of the other categories that we've advocated for. But I just, uh, I guess I just don't like face-off wins. Yeah, that's right. Well, the players don't usually have control over how many stoppages in play there are. So I get your point there for sure. Alice is saying in the chat, center is the easiest position to fill right now, which is definitely true. There's always so many centers available in your draft, and it's really a lot harder to fill your wing spots. So he's saying giving them a bonus is harmful at the moment, just because there's already so many of them. So that's a really good point as well. Okay, so uh, let's switch over to goalie categories now. I think that covers most of the popular skater categories. I guess we didn't really dig into blocks. We like blocks. I know that you've seen some data like blocks aren't necessarily a strong determiner of something that's helping your team but it's a really good way to give defensemen extra value we went with 0.5 points for a block so same as a shot if you get a block so your chris russells they're gonna help you a little bit not too much but definitely the defenseman like alex petrangelo who blocks and also gets points hopefully if you can stay on the top power play next year that makes him a little bit more valuable because he's also there giving you hits and blocks so with that, let's go to goalie categories. Teddy asked, in a categories league, how many of the categories should be goalie categories? For example, if a league has 15 categories, is it reasonable to have five categories as goalie categories? And actually, at Bobby's Grin on Twitter asked, what's the best proportion for Rotostats, skaters versus goalies? So yeah, we haven't even gone into what are the goalie categories that we like and don't like, but straight up here, it's really tricky, right, to balance skaters and goalies. I said before how in our Cupful League last year, for categories a lot of people just decide not to play goalies the year before that we had three goalie categories and five skater categories so three eighths of the categories were goalies and i felt like that was a problem because goals were worth too much like it's like two ro- roster spots on a given night almost contributing to like 37 percent of your total team's output so i think it is really tricky and you have to get it right to really figure out so in the categories like brian what do you think is the right ratio it's got to have something to do with how many roster spots you have overall right for sure. Like if you're running two active goalies, then it's different than if you're trying to run only one or three or four, which is probably insane depending on how many people are in your league. Last year, Elon, we took goalie categories down to being just two out of seven, which was sort of controversial at the time because in previous years it had been three out of seven or three out of eight. Anyway, we took it down to two out of seven and I found it works well. So I'm just going to go with that. A two to seven ratio of goalie to skater categories works. It means that, yeah, your goalies aren't going to be all powerful beings, but with the amount of variability in goalie performances and with the impact, I mean, goalies can be injured just as much as players can, but goalies are harder to replace than players in many cases. So uh, it also sort of reduces the impact of goalies succumbing to injury. Yeah, so you're saying two out of seven. So that would be the percentage breaks down to, let me do the math. Two divided by seven, 28 or, okay, around 28% you're saying for goalies. So when Teddy was asking to have five out of 15 categories being for goalies, that's 33%. It's getting high, right? Because then basically you could win a third of your categories just by having good goalies. And I get, yeah, it depends how how you want to value things in your league. I agree with you, Brian. You don't want to just have the team with the best goalies having a huge, huge advantage. Like you should definitely have an advantage. I kind of liked two out of seven. Like if you have a good week with your goalies, that's definitely a big advantage to win the week. If there's seven categories, you need to win four, right? So your goalies can give you two right there. Then you only have to win two of the remaining five categories 
to win the week. So I thought it was good. Maybe we could give goalies a little bit more. But the other thing is also if you're having a league with 15 categories, then you have to include so many categories. You're introducing so many random things probably. In, th- in that case, you're probably using game-winning goals and plus-minus and short-handed points and all these things that are really hard to predict just to be able to use five goalie categories. So I'd be curious to know what uh, the people in the chat room have to say, actually, for what proportion of goalie categories is right. But I, I feel you, Brian. I thought felt like two sevens was pretty good. You were able to punt goalies. And obviously, that's not really like being a manager in the NHL. Usually in the NHL, you need to play a goalie or you're just going to lose every week by default. But it's tricky to reach that balance. It is. You want goalies to matter. You don't want them to matter too much. They should give you an advantage if they're helping you in the week, but they shouldn't decide each matchup every week. And also, Elon, we totally skated by goalie categories. I I don't know if uh, we're planning on mentioning them at all, but like wins is a good one. Save percentage is a good one. And that's about it. Like don't count goals against average. That's, uh, I mean, you can, it's a team stat though. It's not going to reflect the goalie skill. It's more going to reflect the team that they play for. Uh, Save points is a great one where on platforms like Fantrax, you can give goalies points for every puck they stop and then subtract points for every goal that goes in. So it's like another way to weight uh, save percentages and goals against average. Well, Brian, clearly you weren't listening because I did say, let's take a second and talk about this question before we get into the remaining goalie categories. But why not get into them now? I agree with you. So obviously you're talking about a categories league now. For a points league, like the couple, we're able to just give weightings. We decided actually, we made a decision which I thought was a little interesting. I'm curious if people will think it's controversial. We didn't want to give wins too, too much weight versus how valuable it is to be a good goalie you know because again wins like you said for goals against average a win is a, a lot of a team category right like if your goalie wins his team scored enough goals to get him the win so we decided to give two points for a win which is something but not insane and then we gave 0.35 points for a save and then minus two for a goals against so if your goalie has a really good game they could get you a lot of points from racking up those saves but if they start letting in goals they could lose a lot of those points really quickly so on average last year if you take the way we weighted goalie points and also just to complete, we also decided to throw one extra point if you get a shutout. Okay, so the top goalie last year was Connor Hellebuck. He averaged 6.63 points a game, okay, compared to like Nathan McKinnon, who was leading the league in our categories. He had 7.2 points per game. And then actually Pekarine had 7.14 points per game. It's just Hellebuck played more games. That's why he had more total points. And then if we scroll down to get a goalie like, let's say, Cam Talbot, who played a lot of games, but he only had 4.98, and that's a lot because he didn't play as well. He had a below-average save percentage, and it hurt him. So he's still a lot more valuable than a lot of other goalies who hardly played at all because still playing more is going to help you. But we decided, yeah, to put more weight on goalie performance versus whether or not they got the win. So that'll be a lot of fun, I think. And also it'll be really hair-wringing. Like, you know, it's going to really stress people out when they're up in their matchup with by like two points and it's Sunday night and your goalie you just are like, just don't let in a goal and I'll be fine. And then they let in a goal and then you get stressful. But hey, that's what makes it fun. Hair-wringing. When you don't know whether to wring your hands or pull your hair. Yeah, that's a Keeping Carlson saying for you. I think I've said that on other episodes as well. (laughs) That's the thing with this episode, right? If you're a new listener, this is not our standard fare, okay? You're like, we're kind of going a bit off the cuff here. We didn't write a script for this one. We usually have a lot of research to talk about players and other ones. Oh my gosh, but this is still a great... No. It's our best ever episode. I want you to take that out. No apologies. This is a relaxed, conversational tone. 
And this is the way this episode goes. It's a great episode. All right. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you thought this was a great episode oh or not. Oh, now, now that's just pandering, right? Okay. So what else here? Jade, by the way, had a fun answer to Teddy's question about how many categories should be goalie categories. She said zero. She said she hates goalies. And I've heard a lot of people agree with her. A lot of people think goalies ruin fantasy hockey because they're so random, especially like in a categories league. Like we were saying before, when you're counting like save percentage or goals against average, you have to decide, oh, okay, I'm down in saves, but I'm ahead in save percentage. So should I risk playing my goalie in order to get those saves or the win that I need? But I might end up, if he has a bad game, I might ruin my save percentage. Those are the kind of decisions that keep you up at night. They're very, very stressful. And I can see why you don't like it, but I also think that's why it's a lot of fun and it really makes the game very exciting once you make your decision of whether or not to play your goalie. Uh, 15, like I said, category seems like a lot, Teddy. So that's, I'm just going through the notes here that I had. I kind of liked Brian four out of 11. We had a league once that I was in just to fully answer this question of what percentage of categories to be goalie categories. We had a league where it was goals, assists, points, shots, power play points, hits, blocks. So seven skater categories and then four goalie categories, wins, goals against average, save percentage and save. So four out of 11. Well, except we already said two out of seven works and four out of 11 is a higher percentage. Like three out of 11 would be the, the closer matching ratio by my quick mental math. Yeah, you're right. Actually, 3 out of 11 is very close to 2 out of 7. So maybe take out goals against average because you said you didn't even like that category anyways. Then it gets tricky in terms of like when you have goalie categories, you're trying to figure out how many counting ones like wins and saves to compare to how many rate ones like goals against average and save percentage. It's tricky because if you have more counting stats, then it's not even as important to have a goalie who plays well. You just want the goalies that are going to play a lot of games because they're going to be more likely to get you wins and you'll be able to run away with saves. So you want to have penalties for goalies that don't play well. Okay, but anyways, okay, enough about goalies. Let's go to our next question. Dez asked, in both of his points leagues, goalies are very overpowered. Okay, I guess one more about goalies. Count for around one third of all points, even though there are only two slots. And he was asking, like, what can you do to not make goalies so overpowered? I feel like uh, the answer is pretty easy, right? Like either you could just make the points for goalie stuff less, or you could also like one thing we haven't really discussed ever on the show, Brian, is what about just having one goalie slot per night? Like instead of being able to play two goalies per night, you could only play one because Des was saying the thing that bugged him is everyone picks three goalies because they're so overvalued. So there's never anyone fun to pick up in free agency because the 12 team leagues, that's 36 goalies gone right away. Even the backups are owned on a lot of teams. So what do you think about just having fewer spots on the roster? Only one goalie can play per night. You have to decide which one you want to play. And then there's going to be lots of options in free agency. I'm into it. Like, it sounds like there's a problem in Dez's league. If people are just hoarding goalies and I've been in leagues like this too, where people hoard goalies because they know like someone who missed the draft or someone who just isn't totally in tune with the roster setup, uh, someone is going to desperately need a goalie at some point and they will overpay because they will need one. So someone starts the year with four or five goalies within the plan is to trade two of them and they'll get a better return for that goalie than anyone they could have drafted in the same position. And I don't love that. I don't love hoarding goalies. I know, uh, I'm going to call out Dave in tier one of the Cupful last year, who I think ended up with uh, one or two more goalies than he would have liked. I'm not sure if the plan was to sell them off as people needed them and to just hang on to them in the meantime. Uh, but he got kind of burned when nobody was quite giving him the return. I think that he'd been hoping for. Uh, so it, it, it backfired a little. And you don't want that situation, Dave. I'm not saying this is what you were doing. I'm just saying uh, if you was what you were trying to do, it didn't, quite work out i would much rather 
people be uh, drafting one goalie and then maybe a second. So there are enough goalies to go around. And then, yeah, you are trying to make the choice of which goalie to start. The trouble with that, of course, is that uh, making that choice is kind of a coin flip night in, night out, depending on the the, the different in skill level between your two goalies. Yeah, but I threw that question out there too, but I personally think you should have two active goalie slots a night. It's like too few. If you're in a 12-team league, I don't want to have only 12 goalies playing. I think the best thing you could do, Des, is to just reduce the number of points that goalies contribute yeah. to your points league. Yeah, or like, yeah. you can also do what we did in the kickupful, which is have a maximum number of goalies that anyone can carry. Like yeah. we said, we said a maximum... Um, of healthy yeah of healthy goalies and we found that helped and in actually our two out of seven league uh in our two out of seven cupful setup last year we had a minimum number of goalies that you had to hold on your roster so that if you wanted to punt goalies you still could not put skaters in those roster spots to load up on the skater categories Right. Though, of course, Des is talking about a points league. Yeah, in a categories league, you have to consider things like that. In a points league, I think you definitely don't want to make it that the team that has the best goalies is going to always win. And it doesn't matter who has McDavid or Kucherov or Crosby or Ovechkin. All that matters is who has, well, at least last year, Hella Buck and Vasilevsky. Especially because we saw last year how goalies are a lot more random than skaters. The goalies that we thought were going to be amazing last year were Carey Price, Matt Murray, and Braden Holpe. And all three of them kind of stunk last year. And the goalies who ended up being good were guys that were way far down in people's draft lists. So do you really want to give those people the guaranteed wins? So no, I think like in the couple, I think I like when I look at my list of just how many points every player contributed last year based on the points breakdown that we set up. And by the way, if you're in the patron Facebook group, we have a couple group and I posted a link to this spreadsheet. So it's fun to look at. So it was like overall skater, the top skaters were a little better than the top goalies in terms of total points, but the top goalies were better a little bit for points per game just because they play fewer games. But overall, it's like pretty even where like a, having a good goalie should be similarly valuable to having good skaters. Shouldn't be that having good goalies worth so much more. And you, yeah, and you want to have fun goalies at free agency for sure. So it's a very interesting question. Okay, Brian, here's a question that I don't think we've tackled on one of these shows before. It wasn't a question week up. I want to throw it at you. Some leagues, uh, especially a categories league or even a points league, will have different point weightings for defensemen. So let's say in a categories league, they might have a whole category called defense points, where just for keeping track of how many points your defensemen got, that's a category. For a points league, maybe you could have a goal for a, a forward is worth five points, but a goal for a defenseman is worth six points. What do you think about that? Is it worth it to separate the weightings for forwards and defensemen, or do you think it's good to just keep them all the same? I think it's okay to keep them all the same. I've been in a defensive points league, and it's great, but I would rather uh, that defensemen are rewarded maybe a little more organically is the word I'm looking for, and you do that by adding things that defensemen do more often than forwards like blocks, like hits. Uh, If you can add an average time on ice category, I even prefer that to defensive points. Uh, Ooh, that's the worst. We didn't even talk about that category. I don't like a category where you already know who's going to win before the game even starts. Like Alex, But you just get a bonus. You get a bonus for having a player who is integral. Like, especially on defense, the guys who play heavy minutes aren't always big scores. So if you get, if you secure a top pairing defensive defenseman, there's value in that. But of course there's value in the minutes they play and pick up blocks and hits in that time. 
Yeah, I feel like this really comes down to the fun versus the, like, trying to make it a simulation of hockey. Like, I don't want to be, like, like we were saying before how we want to watch the game and be excited about our team getting fantasy points. I want to be like, yay, my player's on the ice. Ooh, he's skating around. Oh, no, he got on the bench. Oh, hopefully he'll come out again soon. I need more minutes. I don't think that's the most exciting thing. But, yeah, like you said, Brian, it could be a proxy to get you some of those other peripheral categories. And, like I already said before, you've got the value over replacement. If you set it up right where good defensemen who get the categories that you care about get more points than the replacement level defensemen, then it doesn't matter if defensemen are getting a little bit less than forwards because it's all about being able to get the most value out of your roster overall. So thanks for the question, Tom, at 400 characters on Twitter. Okay, so uh, Brian, I'll recap before we move on. The points for the couple this year, as we have them now, we're going goals five, assists three, shots 0.5, hits 0.25, blocks 0.5, shorthanded points, one point. And then for goalies, we went wins two, goals against minus two, saves 0.35, and shutouts one. So if anyone is designing their own league and they want to make it just like the couple, first of all, just join the couple. Then you can play in the couple. You don't have to worry about doing that in your league as well. But that is the breakdown. And I'll explain, but why not now? If you want, sign up, keepingcarlson.com slash patron you get an automatic invite you start in the bottom tier the couple is a tiered league where you start at the bottom every time you win your league you work your way up to eventually be in the ultimate tier one division and you could challenge this year the ultimate champion is brian he won the tier one division last year so he'll be defending his crown we'll see if he'll be able to hold on to it we've never had someone win two years in a row okay so brian the next big decision you have to make when you're designing your league is how to set up your rosters right so you could just have straight up 10 forwards four defensemen, two goalies, a couple bench spots, call it a day. Or you could go more in depth and have like center, left wing, right wing. In the couple, we've got all the different positions. We have two center, two left wing, two right wing, four D. But we also threw a couple skater spots in there, sort of like rovers where you could put any position on a given night. What do you think is the right balance of forcing people to have the players for each specific position versus letting them be flexible and be able to have any player? Because it's very frustrating if you're drafting your team or like or even worse, like if you're looking in free agency and there's a player who you know is looking so good, you want to grab him, you know he's going to get so many points. You listen to Keeping Carlson, we told you you've got to grab this guy, but he's a right wing and you look at your team and all of your right wings are already good and you don't have room for another right wing. You don't want to drop any of your good guys. Like, oh, if only, and then you have to try to work out a trade. It would be so much easier if you could just pick the guy up. So what do you think is the right balance there of letting people be flexible versus enforcing them to have the actual position breakdown that the league enforces? It is a balance. That's exactly what it is. You want to have some restrictions on who you can play on a given night. Like an NHL team is not going to ice 10 defensemen and five centers on a given night. Although like they do, I guess the center part could be true with dual eligibility and whatever. What I'm trying to say is that you want your lineup. I I think part of the fun of fantasy hockey is having your lineup still somewhat resemble an actual NHL lineup, having position, uh, restrictions also helps uh, add to like the whole setup of value over replacement, right? When we talked about how centers could be a dime a dozen at one point, when you get to like the 55 point centers, there are a lot more of those or 60 point centers or even 80 point centers than there are of uh, that caliber player at right wing or left wing. So maybe you should jump on those guys earlier in your draft or value them higher throughout your season because they are more difficult to replace. The same way you know that the Edmonton Oilers are forever, or any hockey team actually, the the unicorn of the NHL right now is a right-handed shot defenseman. And uh, I think it's good to include that scarcity thing in your own league. If if there's a a valuable, rare 
skill from a certain position on the ice, I think it's good to have that reflected in your fancy lineup. Although it is frustrating when you do need to bench a guy uh, and leave a spot empty in your roster, in your active roster, because the guy's not the right position. But I think that's on you as a manager, right? You're not going to start if you're an NHL GM. You're not going to start at seven right shooting wingers. Uh, you need some left wingers too. Yeah, for sure. And also with defense versus forwards. Or like Alex is saying, he actually enforces you have to have five D-men in your league. So like in the couple, we're having four D-spots. Then there's also four bench spots. So it's up to you to decide. You could only have four defensemen on your team and use all four of your bench spots for skaters since generally, and I, I, sorry, I should say forwards, because generally forwards are going to get you more points than defensemen. But if you do that, you will have some nights where let's say if one of your defensemen isn't playing that night, but it's a busy Saturday, all of a sudden you have only three of your defense roster spots filled and you have to leave skaters on the bench so that's a decision you have to make if you were carrying more defensemen then you'd be able to fill your roster every single night and maybe get more value so but maybe sometimes it's smarter to leave a spot open in exchange for having a roster with higher point guys so that adds to some of the fun and the uh, decision making in managing your team okay so aside from the roster positions what about ir brian yahoo offers you the option you could either use ir or ir plus so this is if you have a player who's injured if he, if you're using IR plus spots, any injured player, he could be day to day. He could be out. Like, you know, we don't know yet how long he's going to be out. You could throw him in the IR, pick someone else up to replace him. If you use IR spots, it has to be like an NHL designated injured reserve player who's been registered as being in the injured reserve, according to NHL.com. Some leagues I've played in have like maybe two IR plus and one IR. They like still insist on using that IR is there any reason to use it? I feel like it's terrible, right? Because it's not even based on anything. Sometimes a player is injured and they say he's going to be out for a month, but the team just doesn't put him into the IR because they don't need to for whatever reason. Why should your league have to care about that? So like for the Cupful, we're having four IR spots, all IR plus. I'm curious to know if you have any counter arguments to this decision. None. If a player is not playing then you shouldn't have to burn a roster spot on them. That's just adding insult to injury. It sucks enough that a guy that you deem valuable enough to be on your roster is now unable to play, and you're going to need to replace him with someone who is, well, by your judgment, worse because they're available in free agency. And, uh, Elon, as you alluded to, the rules in the NHL for placing a player on IR means, and we've gone into this in the past because we've been confused, why is this guy, like, just day-to-day for two months? It's because... You need to have some kind. You need to have a prognosis to be able to put a player on IR in the NHL. So if a player's in an in-between stage where a team doesn't know exactly what the issue is, or like is waiting on an evaluation for some reason, the player's just never headed to IR. So if they're not dressing, then they should be able to go into your IR. End of story. The question, of course, is what do you do when a player who is healthy again but still in your IR spot? Uh, does that penalize the owner for having a player who's no longer eligible, who is actually playing in their games to be stashed away in an IR spot? Wait, what? What are you talking about now? You're saying, should you penalize people for having ineligible people in their IR? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's easy if you're on Yahoo or ESPN because they don't have any enforcement rules for that, right? So the way it works is your penalty is that if you have a player in the IR and he's no longer eligible, he's playing, then you're not allowed to do any ads. You're not allowed to do trades or anything like that. You're basically, you're able to move people in and out of your roster, but you can't add anyone. But if you're happy with your roster as it is, you can wait as long as you want and just move people around and leave the ineligible guy in IR. And I actually really like that strategy. If it's available to you, if it's allowed, it's a great way 
to like first maybe find out is this player actually good is this player like healthy again back to what you were expecting him to be before you decide to drop someone to bring him back in of course i know brian you're not a big fan of that you think that you should have to drop him just because it's unfair to everyone else and now your team is holding more active players than what's allowed and there should really be better free agents out there available of course if you're using yahoo like we're using next year for the couple we don't really have a choice when we used Fantrax last year they had a really cool option where we made it that you have two days to move the player out of your ir and after that you can't even make a roster move like you can't even move a player from your bench to your active roster so that made that if i wanted to keep a guy in my ir for some reason for let's say a week like i just don't have anyone i want to drop i'm going to roll the dice and wait to see if someone else gets injured so that i could just like flip them then maybe i would go and like set my roster for like the next month just so that i won't be in trouble and have a day where i have people on my bench and i can't move them into my active roster so i know you liked that brian i get that but i think it's fine the way yahoo does it personally sure yeah great I mean, I I don't like when someone is stashing a whole bunch of players because it's like they have their own private free agent pool that they can hang on to until one of their roster players gets injured and then just do a swap. Uh, But I also understand that you are working under the restriction of not being able to make any roster moves. And sometimes that is penalty enough. Uh, But yeah, I don't like I don't like the building of personal free agent pools either. So Harrison made an interesting point. He wrote a counter argument could be that a bunch of IR plus spots gives additional value to Band-Aid boys, guys like Evander Kane or Chris Letang. But I think I'll I'll disagree with you, right? Because if I want to draft Evander Kane, I'm using a pretty high draft pick for him. If he gets injured, first of all, I'm losing his production from that game that he got injured, right? So if he gets injured early in a game, I can't replace him. So right there, I lost a game of production. Then I have to replace him with someone out of free agency. And I know like, I guess if you're like a super fan, like a really into it, I kind of like when I get the opportunity opportunity to pick someone out of free agency because I always have a bunch of people on my watch list that I'm super excited about. I just also love everyone on my team and I have no one to drop. So if someone gets injured, that's not like one of the core, you know, like if I don't like obviously when Sidney Crosby's injured, I'm never going to be too excited about that. But yeah, if you have a roster spot open, maybe it is a nice opportunity to pick up someone else, but usually it's going to be someone worse than the guy who got injured. Otherwise you would have dropped that guy for the other guy in the first place. So I think you're already being penalized by losing your good rostered player that you don't need to overly penalize by also making them like take up a spot on your roster. So I, I get what you're saying, Harrison, but I also think that the punishment should be enough because Brian, that also the other question is some leagues have like only one IR spot or two IR spots. We decided to couple to four IR spots. Be IR generous. Plus again. Yeah. Be generous with their IR spots. Like again, it's enough of a penalty to have a player who is better than the rest of the free agents go down with injury and you don't get them anymore. And you have to replace them with a weaker player. You shouldn't have to lose that player also, or decide whether you're going to let a player burn a hole in your roster or drop him for nothing. And then hope to be the first one to add him again when he's healthy. That's too much. I just feel like I don't want my league decided by who was getting bad luck with injuries. Like it's always partially going to be decided by that. Cause obviously like, especially for goalies, right. Cause they're usually a lot harder to find in free agency, like a good starting goalie. It's like, if a goalie gets injured, you got to grab the backup so that you could get the starts. But in general, yeah, I don't like my league to be decided too much by injuries. Like it's going to be decided a little bit, but I'd rather not penalize the person, especially hard. And then at the end, when I'm trying to celebrate my win and I think I'm a brilliant genius. And then I have the person who ended up losing being like, Oh, I would have won, but I had that injury. And then I ended up having this roster spot not being used. So it was unfair. But I, I don't want any excuses. I want to win, and I don't want the other person to have excuses. If I lose, I kind of like having excuses. But you have to be creative in that case and come up. And I always have good ways of coming up with excuses. So I'm not wanting for that. Uh, Brian, next, let's talk about acquisitions, okay? So first of all, 
there's the whole idea of acquisition limits. So we have our teams. There's a whole bunch of free agents that are always available. It's so tempting to flip around, especially like your bottom guy. You want to drop someone, pick someone up, especially if you could make changes that take effect that day. It's not like weekly locked lineups. You could really like game the system. If you have a player who's not that great, is the bottom of your roster and his team isn't going to play for three days, why not pick up someone who's going to play two times in those three days? And then you could always drop that guy after and pick up the original guy or someone else. So it's a lot of fun to stream. And that's why a lot of leagues introduce limits either weekly limits or yearly limits in the couple last year we had no yearly limits but we had four acquisitions a week which some people thought was too much some people of course thought it was too little because they just want to do unlimited ads where do you land on this what do you think the limit should be on how many ads you can make per week because i'll tell you when there's a too strict of a limit, it can be very annoying. If you have an injury early in the week, and then so you had to replace that guy, and then you know halfway through the week you saw someone you liked, and all of a sudden it's the weekend, and if there's like a really good free agent, you've already used up all your moves, it's really annoying. Or if someone drops someone from another team, and it's like, oh my god, I fi- I'm a top waiver priority. I can finally get this player, but I'm out of moves. I can't believe it. If I would have known this player would have been dropped, I never would have used that move earlier. So it could be really frustrating, but at the same time, you could really game it. So I think it's really hard to come up with the perfect setting for that. So where have you landed over the years? It is. It is. And we had this conversation for the cupful. We were even going as granular, like we were going back and forth between should it be three moves a week or four moves a week? And we saw like, you know, we could, we, we ended up choosing four and it didn't feel like a huge difference, but it was a difference that we went back and forth about. And essentially what it came down to is you want to be able to do two things. You want to forgive uh, anyone who has a rash of injuries in a given week. And you also want to give them enough ability to make moves and manage their team to, to help them win a given week and get them out of a sticky situation or really, you know, uh, put their foot on the gas or turn the throttle. What's the, whatever. I'm not a motorcyclist. How do throttles work? Pull the throttle. No one told you to use this metaphor of a motorcycle. In any case, so you want, you want to set your acquisitions high enough so that people have the freedom to do that, but you also don't want it so high that someone like is just streaming in without care, like two spots or even one spot on their roster every single night changes. And they have so many different players playing for their team. And it's just a constant, like whoever has the most time to spend at their computer uh, to figure out the best way to game their lineup is able to win. Uh, So uh, I would say that's the balance you're trying to strike enough room to forgive issues and difficulties that arise during the week and to allow for some gamesmanship, but not so much that it just goes to whoever's going to make the most streams. Yeah, but then there's also the option to have a yearly limit. Alex is saying in the chat room, he uses a 35 yearly limit. I'll tell you, me personally, I enjoy, I feel like adding free agents is the way I like to play. Like a lot of people are really into trades. And I'm going to admit right now, I kind of hate trades. I feel like I have to talk to people. I have to like suck up to them, try to like really get the person's personality and figure out like what they want. And I mean, there's, there's skill to that for sure. And we could get into that more in a little bit, but I feel generally, I love to just use free agency, make those smart ads when I need to. And when I have a yearly limit, I find it super stressful. Cause like, especially once I've like passed, like in a 35 yearly limit league, once I'm like up to like 15 ads, then it's sort of like, oh my God, then I want to save a certain number for the playoffs. Cause I don't want to be screwed. Cause that's a huge disadvantage if you're in a playoff matchup and your opponent can make double the moves that you can make. So I find it really stressful personally, and I don't like it, but I know Brian, you probably think that's more fair to have I do. a yearly limit. I like a yearly limit because you have the freedom to make moves however and whenever you want. But if you use them all too early or you don't pace yourself, that's your own problem. Uh, like even if you just gave uh, like four moves a week 
and you multiplied that by however many weeks are going to be in your fantasy season, and that was the yearly limit, I'd be fine with that. And then if you save moves, like if you don't stream all the time to get your wins, of course, streaming, like there's a whole other debate, right? Is streaming considered a good way to win? And I, I'd say it's a valid way to win. Uh, some people do find it frustrating. And it often is like the people who are streaming are the people who have more time to spend, which isn't, uh, and who might be uh, able to access their computer and hockey news more regularly through the day. But I think, uh, I think there's something to be said for getting far on the team that you drafted, which is why having an annual limit, a yearly limit, if you can get by on the team you drafted without streaming your, your roster every week and using those four moves each week, you've got yourself an advantage going down the home stretch and into your fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I think, Brian, if I could design my perfectly, you were saying before, settings that don't exist, but you wish they they did. I would love if there would be a way to be like, once you add a player, you can't drop them for a week. Because like, I feel like I want to make lots of ad drops, not necessarily because I want to stream and like, you know, get those extra points in the given week to sneak my way. It's more just like, I like all of a sudden see a free agent. Like, oh, I really want that guy. I want to try him out. I'm willing to risk losing this guy to take that guy. And I hate that I have to look into my limits to count for it. So I'd love if you could have some rule like that, where when you add a guy you can't drop him for a week that means that you're not streaming you could do it as much as you want with as many roster spots as you want but you have some skin in the game in terms of you can't just drop him and stream to try to get points i'd also love as far as our weekly limit if we could have a new rule in a fantasy platform i feel like it would be nice if we could say only four ads per week but it doesn't count if you have an injury. So if you're filling an, uh, if you have a player who got injured and you put him in your injured reserve, filling that spot, that's free. That doesn't count. But you have three ads per week to actually try to improve your team. Because I feel like, I think three ads per week is more fair. Because I feel with four ads per week, you do have the ability to stream and just get a few extra points and win the week when maybe you didn't deserve it in terms of how good your team was. But on the other hand, if you only have three ads per week and you get hit with a couple of injuries, you're really screwed. Like you can't do anything and it sucks. So I wish that was available, but obviously it's not. So no point debating that. No point in debating that. Where are we going next? Okay, let's... Well, also the other thing with acquisitions I want to mention is one thing we do in the Cupful, which I thought might not be available in Yahoo, but luckily it is, is we're going to use the free agent acquisition budget again. So... In most standard leagues, this is one thing where a couple really is a little bit more advanced than your regular league. In most leagues, anytime you want, you could drop a player, add another player. If, for example, some player gets a hat trick, Alex Debrinkit gets a hat trick and he's in free agency in your league, everyone's going to want to rush and grab him. It's like whoever happened to see it first is going to get him. We're using the free agent acquisition budget where we have an auction once a day where everyone puts in their bids for who they want to add and whoever bid the most gets the player. And everyone gets a budget of 100 fake dollars at the start of the season. And then you have to decide, am I going to blow my fab early on to get this hot free agent and make sure I get him? Or am I going to save it so that I have more fab than my opponents later on in the year? But yes, you can only add free agents once a day. And I think that's the more fair way to go because everyone has the same opportunity. If Especially because we have people playing in the cupful from all over the world. Someone from Australia might be asleep when their goalie gets injured. And I feel like they should have the same opportunity to bid for the backup goalie rather than just get bad luck because they happen to be asleep or at a party or something when they needed to be making a move. Again, it levels the playing field for some people have jobs or lifestyles where they can access hockey news and computers all day long. Some people don't have that luxury or opportunity. I don't know if I should call it a luxury. In any case, I like having that one time a day where all moves are processed. 
Yeah, of course, there is a lot of strategy with that, though, because you have to sometimes put in backup bids, or I always put in backup bids, right? Because I'm going to, let's say, bid $2 for the guy I want dropping, you know, so let's say I have Patrick Eves, and I want to drop him because I really like this player in free agency. Oh, man, it's like, I know every single player in the league, but at least that's fantasy relevant, and when it's time to, like, record a podcast, I forget them all. But let's say, okay, uh, Mantha is in free agency. That wouldn't even happen. Okay, and I, and I want to make a bid for Mantha, but I'm concerned that someone else might bid for him, so then I have to put in a backup and say, okay, if I don't get Mantha, then try to drop East for this guy and bid this much. And then if I don't get that second guy, maybe then try to drop East for this guy. And you could set it all up in Yahoo or whatever platform you're using. This is available on ESPN also. It's also available on Fantrax, of course. And you, you could set it up so that you'll eventually get someone that you want. So there's a bit more work maybe involved in just adding and dropping a guy, but I think it's worth it. It's more fair. And it's also really fun every day to be all nervous and see who you ended up getting. I think in Yahoo, the draft is going to happen or i should say the draft they're like the auction the pickup time is like 3 a.m or 4 a.m eastern time so for most people they're just going to go to sleep set everything up before they go to sleep and then when you wake up in the morning you're going to see who you got and then you set your roster for the day so it could be a lot of fun especially with goalies you know where you're trying to pick up your like backup goalie that you want to add for a stream later in the week okay next Brian, let's talk about trades okay i like i said before i don't really like trades but so most people really like them. It's a big part of the game. It is a lot of fun right, to talk to people like, oh, guys, I really need a goalie who like make me an offer. And then everyone makes offers. Of course, the problem is that I always hate it when other people make a trade because usually I feel like my team is doing pretty well. And then some really good team that I'm competing with ends up winning a trade against some crappy team. And all of a sudden, my competition got better. and There's nothing I could even do about it. So oftentimes, leagues have the option to veto so a bunch of people could vote on if they think the trade was fair or not. And I feel like this is like a really weird system because the people voting on it are the people who have the most to gain or lose for if it goes through. It's like a very biased decision. Like, of course, unless I have a really strong moral conscience, I'm almost going to want to vote to veto every single trade that happens because I feel like it's always just a trade that's improving the teams that I'm competing with. So we have a solution for that in the Cupful. It's easy for us because we have multiple divisions and you and I are commissioners. So we're able to be unbiased and just look at the different leagues without being in them and make a decision. I feel like it's a lot harder when you're in a league by yourself. And I'm going to throw it out there. If you're in a league and you're having vetoes hurting your league. And I think that's, it's a toxic thing. I think it was, people were saying that in the chat room today, how like, you know, you can have a trade, someone like a commissioner or someone like vetoes the trade and people are like, oh, that wasn't fair. You just vetoed because you're unhappy. Then people start fighting next thing you know, that could like actually ruin the league or really like make the league a lot less fun. So I'm going to throw it out there. I tweeted us at keeping Carlson or join our patron only Facebook group and post to the patrons post the trade to some unbiased people and get them to say if they think the trade is fair or not. I think that's the best way to go. I don't think you should do veto votes. You should have an unbiased person making the decision. Absolutely. There are a lot of reasons why someone might choose to veto a trade. In my dream scenario, my utopian scenario that doesn't exist is when a player, when someone wants to trade a player, maybe they've already negotiated a deal with another owner. They have to put that player up for auction first and announce to everybody that this player is being traded so like they're not just caught off guard by somebody like coming at them who's been offering like 10 trades a day to everyone in the league and and that person just got lucky which is a lot of people's strategy uh, in fantasy hockey I've seen it plenty of times where you know you have that person who's just constantly handing out trade offers hoping to win one finding the needle in the haystack and ready to, to dedicate the time to do it anyway so my dream scenario is if you want to trade a player, you put them up for auction, and then everybody can bid on the player. The tricky part is how exactly do you decide what the best 
bid is for a player, right? Like you might disagree, uh, but at least you'll get a whole variety of offers instead of one that's just a clear ripoff. And if you see that the best offer at a moment is a ripoff offer, you can just one up it and probably still win the deal. Yeah, uh, so there's actually a question in the chat room here. Can you guys touch on some interesting ideas for how to promote trading? That was Harrison. And I actually responded, why do you even want to promote trading? But then Alex <laughs> is actually giving some helpful ideas. Yeah, you could have roster minimums. You could have, you know, like things where you make it where uh, like some teams are going to have a deficiency in something and other teams will have uh, overage. And then you could work out a deal where both people benefit. I think that's the best scenario. Like you don't want to promote trading just like you're going to have idiots trading with smart people. And the goal is to try to rip off the idiots. Like you want to have all smart people in your league. First of all, you should probably get rid of people in your league who are making dumb trades all the time because it's just not going to make it fun in my personal opinion and then yeah you have to try to set it up in a format where there's ways to multiple people can win in a trade so like i said in the categories league if one person needs assists one person needs blocks you know maybe you can work something out uh but brian regarding what you were saying about your like dream situation of like this bid and all of that stuff how about a real situation that we can do it's something we are doing in the couple this year which i think is going to be a lot of fun and it's an idea that we had from the puck hogs league or actually brian i think we came up with it but then we saw that the puck hogs league is doing it but maybe uh we saw that and forgot that you saw you know how these things work yeah, we we had this idea a year ago like we talked about it quietly didn't go ahead with it and then we saw that the puck hogs have a version of it uh they have something called a trade jury by the way, Elon, do you have the website handy so we can properly shout out, shout out the Puck Hogs? I've got it. Don't worry about it. Puck Hogs Local 242. It's another like large fantasy league like the Cupful in some ways. They have all the rules posted on their website. You should check it out. We've been chatting with uh, the commissioner, Adrian, over email for a few weeks and just uh, sharing some ideas back and forth. In any case, it's not that interesting to you. But in their rules, you'll see they have a trade jury. This year in the Cupful, we are also introducing a similar concept where anytime a trade is made, and this goes back to how Elon said, like the people in your league who have a vested interest in whatever trade does or doesn't happen shouldn't be the ones to decide whether it does or doesn't happen. You need to find an objective third party. So any trade that happens in the Cupful this year, we are going to invite three well, random... Wait, no, it's any trade I've that happens... I've already got it wrong. Any trade that happens that's contested, right? So it's right. going to be... The onus is going to be on the people in your league. So if you're in a Cupful division and then a trade happens, you're like, what? That's a terrible trade. Crosby for Vincent Trocek? Are you kidding me? Just because Trocek gets a few more hits. So then you'll be like, I contest this trade. And if you contact me or Brian and say, I am officially contesting this trade, then Brian and I will, like you were about to say, we're going to contact three random people from other divisions in the Cupful, And we're going to form a trade jury of those three people plus, plus Brian and I. That makes five of us. We'll start a Facebook chat. We'll buy some beers. We'll grab some pizza. And we'll sit and we'll discuss the trade and the merits of it, whether we think it should go or it should not go. And then we'll vote at the end. And that's how we'll decide all people who are not in the division. I think it'll also be a lot of fun. So we actually have in our registration form for the Cupful, we ask if you're willing to be eligible for jury duty. And if you say yes, then who knows? You might get the call. You might be called on to serve on a jury for a trade that happens. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. I'm curious to see how that will go down if and when it goes down. Because last year, there were a few trades that happened in the Cupful that I thought were kind of wonky, but no one contested it. So then in the end, it was kind of like, okay, if no one's contesting it, uh, I guess I'm not going to step in and decide if we need to veto it or not, if no one is disappointed. But this year, feel free. It'll be fun. Like, just tell us. If, if you think it's an unfair trade, let me know, because I think an unfair trade could really hurt a league. So obviously, don't just contest anything. But if you think that it's an unbalanced trade, 
let us know. We'll, we'll get the jury going. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, good idea, Puck Hogs, if you're the ones who came up with it. Uh, okay, next, Brian. Oh, one last thing about trading. When should the trade deadline be? This is a discussion we were having. Should it be, like, really close to the end of the season, or it should be a lot earlier? I kind of like the – but, again, I'm the Grinch that hates trades. So I want the trade deadline to be, like, January 1st. After that, no more trades. You're stuck with who you have. But I know most people want to trade all the way up into sometimes the NHL trade deadline. What, what really quickly, what do you think are like the pros and cons to having an early versus late trade deadline? Well, early means you're going to get less funny business. If you have the trade deadline when more teams are in contention, you're not going to have those like crazy one-sided trades with an owner just like giving up completely and saying, here, have my top three stars because you're my friend and give me nothing back in return. And then, of course, your league has more more work to do in terms of commissioning and vetoing and and working through all that stuff that comes with ripoff trades happening yeah and brian even if it's not like a ripoff trade but like if you're in a keeper league with draft picks being allowed to be traded yeah if you wait till the end when a team already knows that they're not going to make the playoffs then why wouldn't they trade their best player for a draft pick they don't even care who they got like it makes sense it's in their best interest to trade whoever they can to get draft picks because they're not going to win anyway if you make it earlier while they still had a chance then they'd be less likely to trade away their all their chances of winning for a draft pick so yeah yeah definitely that so it doesn't always have to be like a, a complete ripoff but it could just be that with these draft pick tradings it could really be an unbalanced trade for the given season yeah and it can throw off the whole competitive balance of your league so having it earlier helps minimize the chances of of having so many teams so far out of it that they're willing to just give up and throw in the towel and make some lopsided deals on the other hand uh the pros for having the trade deadline closer to the beginning of your fantasy playoffs is to give you some time to adjust and tinker with your lineup and really have an accurate picture of what your team looks like going into the playoffs and figure something out. Of course, if you have like a major injury that hurts you at a position and you want to make a deal to try and compensate for that, but the trade deadline's already passed, uh, you're kind of out of luck. So it is restricting to have the trade deadline too early. I've sort of landed, Elon, three to five weeks before the playoffs begin is probably the best space. I don't know that there's a way to have the trade deadline in a position that allows owners flexibility to tinker with their team before their playoffs. Um, I don't know if there's a way to allow that without also opening the door to some ripoff trade shenanigans. Um, But I would like place the priority on giving the owners who are going to make the playoffs a, a chance to tinker with their teams closer to the playoffs and what you need to do is you just need to set up a pretty good league structure to minimize whatever possible shenanigans might happen. Yeah, I think for the couple, it'll be easier, right? Because there's no draft picks, there's no keepers. So we'll have our trade jury. If someone makes a ripoff trade right near the playoffs, then we'll just veto it. You know, our jury will discuss and we'll veto. It's a lot harder if you're in a keeper league with draft picks where there is an incentive to ruin the balance of the league because you don't care you're going to lose anyways. You just want the picks. Okay, so Brian, we're, I guess we're running pretty late. So let's, let's lightning round the remaining topics I wanted to cover here. Uh, the playoffs... Like, uh, how many teams should make the playoffs? Do you like it when, like, you know, if you're in a 12-team league and eight people make it? Or do you think it's better to just have, like, four people make it and everyone else didn't like Like, you know, I feel like that's an interesting decision to make. Like, should it be hard to make the playoffs? Or should it be easy to make the playoffs? Because, I mean, if I came first in the league and then I was playing the eighth-place team and then I ended up losing in the first round, I'm like, how did this guy even make the playoffs? It's so frustrating. But also, I guess you should have, you know, been able to handle the eighth place team. So I could definitely see pros and cons from both sides. I think like when you have one week playoff matchups, and unfortunately it looks like Yahoo is going to once again only support one week playoff matchups, there could be a lot of luck involved. Like my team could be better than your team, but you could just happen to have all your best players playing four times and all of my best players are only playing two times. All of a sudden I lose and I'm very mad about it. 
So that makes me think that I want to just make it harder to make the playoffs so that you, there's more value to just having a strong regular season. But I'm curious to know your arguments here. So in Lincoln Cupful, we have six out of 14 teams in the playoffs. And there are a couple arguments uh, to have more spots available. I mean, it was six out of 14 in the championship round of Lincoln Cupful. And then there was a consolation bracket with the rest. So we actually, Elon, had every team playing in the playoffs for one reason or another last season. And that's probably the best setup to have as many teams involved in playoffs with some kind of stakes at play as well, because that way you have teams engaged the whole way through and you're less likely to have a team throw in the towel. Like if you, if you include 75% of your league in the playoffs, yeah, it does make it a little more prone to luck come playoff time, but it means that you're not going to have teams uh, as abandoned hypothetically, as you would have uh, if you only let the top six or eight teams in. So Elon, in the Cupful, we have promotion and relegation. So even if you don't make the playoffs, like if you're not in the top six, if you're outside the top six and not making the playoffs, depending on where you finish in your division, there's still a lot at stake just depending on your final standings. Yeah, for sure. So this year we have to go with what Yahoo has with Fantrax. We had a lot more configurability for the playoffs. But yeah, some teams that don't make the actual playoffs are still going to play in a relegation tournament to see where they stand at the end of the season. But yeah, we decided six teams make the playoffs out of 14. So not exactly half, but close to it. Uh, plus, I really like giving a bye to the top two teams. I think it's like you deserve it. Remo- remove some of the luck, right? Like if you earned a top two spot in your division, I think you deserve to take a week off, relax. And it's not just like relax, right? It's a great opportunity to take advantage of like players who are dropped because they had a bad schedule. And then you get to just pick that player up. You don't even care. You don't have to worry about the schedule because you're not even playing that week. So I think that's your reward for coming in first. So I think six is a good number because you get to have that buy. Okay, so to end things, let's uh, take some of the more challenging questions. Super lightning round, okay? So... Steve Laidlaw asked us, is there a reason beyond the online nature of fantasy hockey that auction drafts haven't become more prevalent? So Steve, obviously a big fan of auction drafts. We have some patrons who are super huge fans of auction drafts. They don't even want to play if they have to do a snake draft. Of course, with an I'm auction- a super huge fan of an auction draft. It is the best way to draft. It takes the randomness of draft order out. And I, Elon, I'm going to jump in here. Auction draft, you get a budget, you get to spend it however you want on players to fill out your roster. Of course, you can't bid so much on a player that you end up broke. You have to keep at least a dollar per each empty slot on your team handy. And it's all automated. Like the platform you're using will figure it out. And, you know, like this way, everyone has a shot at Connor McDavid in their fantasy pool. It's not like, oh, I'm drafting 14th. There's only certain players that I know I'm going to get in the first round. Everybody has an equal shot at Connor McDavid. You have a lot of say in your team construction. I love auction drafts. I think the reason that it's not more common is one, there's a myth that they're complicated and confusing and stressful. I think two, there aren't as many resources available. Like if you're going uh, to know how to draft for an auction. So if you're going into an auction draft and Elon, I've had this problem. Our patrons have had this problem. It's like, I want to get ready for my auction draft, but I have, I don't even know where to start. Like I can't find uh, any good formula for how to value players. How much should I pay for this guy? How much should I pay for that guy? Uh, there usually is not a black and white answer because auction drafts are so dynamic and the market is set differently for each auction draft and depending what other owners in your league are willing to spend. It's a super strategic thing. The other 
stumbling block, I think, for people getting in on auction drafts is that it just takes longer. Like it's a bigger investment. We've had our Cupful Tier 1 auction draft run over four hours, uh, probably close to five in the past. Whereas a snake draft, you know you can pretty much finish any snake draft in a reasonable league size in about two hours. So I think those are the three main reasons why auction drafts aren't more popular, even though in my opinion, they should be. They should be the default setting. It's so fun. I mean, Brian, I agree with you. I like auction drafts too. And I was scared of them before. And I think a lot of people are just very scared that they're going to suck at them because you're, you're used to what you're used to, right? But I think there is some fun in snake drafts. Like, I don't want to sell them short. I think there's a lot of fun in I didn't say they're not fun. I just said auction drafts are better. Okay, sure. But no, but I think there's some things that snake drafts have that auction drafts don't have. Like, I really like when it's time for my pick, trying to figure out, okay, it, I, I, I'm deciding between two players. Who's the player that's more likely to come back to me in my next pick if I don't take him? And you have to have that fun strategy of figuring out not necessarily who's the best player to take, but who's the best player to take at the right time by looking at the other team's rosters and seeing who they're going to take. I know there's similar things in auction drafts. Like, should I bid? Cause like who else are other people going to bid on? But I don't know. I really like that part of snake drafts and uh, it's not as I'm sad when I don't get to do that when I'm playing in an auction draft, but there are, like you said, so many reasons why auction drafts are more fun. And also they're definitely more fair in terms of everyone has the same opportunity to get every player. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see if they get more popular in the future. I think another big reason why auction drafts, are not as popular and a reason why i'm a little scared of them is i think they really suck if someone doesn't show up like a snake draft if someone doesn't show up you have the auto draft to just take the next player on the board it doesn't really ruin it for everyone else maybe one team will be a little less good but if they're taking the best player available whenever they have a pick according to some pre-ranking it's fine but with an auction draft if you have like the bot like bidding crazy amounts for one player totally changing the amount of money that different people have left or not bidding. And so, you know, I just feel like there's a lot that more that could go wrong if someone doesn't show up. And in the couple, we have 14 people per league. It's kind of scary. Like we're opening up the possibility of doing auction drafts. We'll do a tier one auction draft. And then I put in the registration form for people to answer whether or not they want to do an auction draft in their division. Then I'm going to try to put people in divisions and satisfy what they want. But at the same time, if you sign up and say that you're willing to do an auction draft, you better show up because if you don't, that could actually hurt everyone in your division, in my opinion. I don't think they've come up with bots that are good enough to replicate what a person would do. And I think it hurts everyone in the league. For sure. Yeah. Auction drafts are really, really notoriously bad at compensating for owners who aren't present on some platforms. You can't even begin the draft if the owner isn't present. That's fan tracks. On Yahoo, you can you can preset values and decide how high you want to go on a certain player and the bots can follow those rules. But of course, deciding how much you want to invest at each position. I mean, the same same pitfalls as if you miss a snake draft, although the stakes are a little higher because it really impacts uh, the rest of the people in your draft. Uh, like they're bidding against a bot who might not be acting rationally. Then again, Maybe you wouldn't be either if you were there. <laughs> that's true. Brian, I think Fantrax allows you to do an auction draft. Yeah, that, that's not true. If okay. not, everyone is there. I thought but we I, had that problem last year. No, the problem was we didn't want to start it because we knew it was going to suck. And so oh, we were trying I to find something. <laughs> okay, my bad. I thought we actually couldn't, but I stand corrected. We couldn't because Elon wouldn't allow it. Uh. Uh, okay, so I guess we're not going to get to all the great questions that we had, unfortunately. Thank you for everyone who tweeted us and posted on Facebook. We had a lot of questions about like the more, like everything we've talked about now, that's really just scratching the surface of league design. There's so many more complicated types of leagues. Like there's keeper leagues. And then even within keeper leagues, there's so many different formats. Like you could just have a straight up keep five players. Everyone, every team keeps five players. Or you could have a little more specific, like everyone 
gets to keep two centers and three left wings, or you have to keep at least one goalie, or you can't have more than one goalie. Then you could have keepers based on what round the player was drafted in. A lot of people ask questions like, okay, since I picked this player in round 15, if I keep him, then I give up my 15th round pick in the next draft. So it's always better to try to get keepers in later rounds. There's like formats like that. Then we have stuff based on you could like draft a player and you get to keep him for a certain number of years and then you have to let him go. Kind of like an NHL contract. So if you draft Connor McDavid, he'll go back into the draft, let's say in three years. You could do that. You could even have crazy intense leagues. You could have farm teams where you're keeping like your whole roster, including rookies that don't even contribute to your team, like prospects. And then you have to choose when to call them up onto your team. Like people are in some pretty crazy intense leagues. And I'm sorry we weren't able to get into all of those but definitely, uh, I'm gonna, or yeah, go yeah, ahead. I'm, I'm going to put out an offer. If we did not get to your question or you have another one based on this episode, uh, why don't you tweet at us? Uh, even if you already did, uh, maybe we'll miss it. Like we'll go back and try and answer, but tweet at us. We will quote tweet. I mean, we'll reply. Maybe we'll quote tweet to <laughs> broadcast it to, uh, to everybody else who might be interested, or we'll just reply straight to you. We will find a way to answer your question. Let's end by once again talking about the cool league that we're excited about, which is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. It's going to be fun, and we want to get as many interested and active fantasy players as possible. And I think that you, it's going to be worth your while to join this league. Like, I think one thing that's hard to really promote, but it's really worthwhile to realize, is this is a league where you're going to have the most active commissioners you've ever had. Like, Brian and I are paying attention every day, watching all of the divisions. If there's an inactive team, I'm going in and I'm, like, trying to find a replacement to replace that team right away. Because it's the worst when you have someone who's not even setting their lineups and giving someone an easy matchup win. And I try really hard. And last year, it was tricky and it didn't always work but i tried my best to replace people as fast as possible this year on yahoo they have that awesome feature where you could literally press one button and it sets your lineup for the week it's maybe not the most optimal lineup setup but at least it tries and so it'll be even easier for people to stay active but if someone else is inactive i could at least go in and press that button so you're gonna have that also we're gonna not have any of this drama with trades like i said we're gonna have a trade vetoes everything's gonna be fair it's on yahoo trade to- jury not trade vetoes trade jury yes i'm too excited brian about the couple and you know what If you're thinking, I don't know if I should become a patron just to join this league, you're also getting other features. Sorry, guys, for the promotion. We didn't have an advertisement this episode, so you got to give us that. But okay, you get access to our patron-only Facebook group. You get our monthly patron cast, a bonus episode just for the patrons. We dropped our almanac. We actually have a discount code for the people who are interested in the almanac. If you're a patron, you're going to get 20% off. And then plus you're going to get access to the couple. So we're offering a lot of perks. And plus you get the good feeling of knowing you're supporting a fantasy hockey podcast. And we're about to go crazy hard into next season. Once we finish recording our almanac, then it's going to be September. And we're going to start going back to weekly episodes. We're going to have all of our preseason series, looking at rankings, trying to find sleepers. We're really going to help you out to help you get prepared for your draft. And we'd love your support. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Sign up as a patron. Then we'll send you an email with a link to register for the Cuckupful. And then once the Cuckupful sign-up deadline of September 7th passes, we'll be sending you your league invite. Uh, the draft date, by the way, is September 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So it's a Sunday. So if you sign up, it would be great if you could try to make it for your draft. You could also auto-draft if you're doing a snake draft. We'll also offer an additional draft time for the people who can't make it. And if enough people sign up saying they want the additional draft time, we'll accommodate you. So check it out. KeepingCarls.com slash patron. Enough of that, Brian. How about we wrap up the show 
Thanks again for everyone who's listening. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson with any questions we didn't get to, or if you have any comments on any of the things that we discussed, we'd love a five-star review on iTunes. If you're up for it, if you want to check out our almanac, which is still in pre-order because we're going to be recording it next weekend and all throughout next week, keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. But Brian, with that, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and supported by our patrons, uh, it was researched with help from a couple sources that we never referenced. Uh, some of our inspiration in setting up this year's couple came from Johnny Fantasy, who you can follow on Twitter at Johnny with an H and two N's underscore fantasy, uh, or go to johnnyfantasy.com uh, and Puck Hogs Local 242.com, another large scale league that you can join and really try and find some intense people to test your metal against. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cool. Great job. As always, Brian, I'm going to talk to you on Saturday and then every day after that for seven days. We'll see if we hate each other. And then we'll drop our next episode in, I think, a couple weeks. We're probably going to give you a teaser of Chapter 1 of the Almanac. You're going to get Chapter 1 for free. And then after that, you'll have to decide whether or not you want to go in on the rest. That's when you're going to hear from us next. And the next thing you know, like I said, it'll be September. And we're going to be dropping shows on you every week. Bam. Like an anvil. So, Brian, say your catchphrase. Uh, until the next time, keep on keeping Carl Sun. Bye.